A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 169 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division, at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and right on your own Twitter and Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Erleman. And with me in spirit, because he couldn't go, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Rub it in, why don't you, you bastard? <laughs> I, I know. I, it seems like just yesterday when I was on that side of the, the celebration fence, <laughs> looking in with my anger glasses. Sting your people and your money and your timing, your fortuitousness of having them both at the same time. Yes. Um, well, the good news, I guess, is that... Uh, we're hearing rumblings already of what's going on the next couple of years, and they've announced London for next year. Yeah, that's not happening. Uh, but they've also, I'm starting to hear rumblings, I think it's from vendors uh, that are giving information to people who are passing it along. But I've heard from a couple of different people that it looks like when they bring it back to the U.S. in 2017, uh, everything I'm hearing is pointing to Orlando, or at least East Coast. I'm assuming Orlando because it's Disney and whatnot. So maybe in 2017... I can do kind of like what you did, and we can do the whole Disney slash going to celebration thing just on the different coast because, you know, we never have a honeymoon. Right? We never had a honeymoon yeah. at all, so that might be a cool thing to sort of wrap together a vacation slash honeymoon slash, you know, celebration thing, just make it a long run. I mean, it's still going to be during the school year, but, I mean, I went to a Braves game a while back and was able to do my work basically sitting in the stands. I had my iPhone out from work. And was just running the classroom stuff from there. So in theory, I can run it from anywhere, one would nice. think. Well, there definitely is a lot of theories in that regard. And, and the big popular one is that the even numbers will be the overseas years, you know, like Japan, Australia, Europe, uh, that kind of stuff. With the uh, odd numbers being U.S. being bouncing back and forth between Anaheim and Orlando. So that that's definitely what everybody is kind of thinking is going to happen, although I haven't from what I've heard, heard anybody in any kind of official capacity suggesting that this is just basically everybody on the con floor was pretty much in agreement that that's what should be going on. So we'll, we'll see from there. Uh, you know, as we get into this episode, man, it was definitely a learning curve. I'll give it that. It's like the star Wars films, right? The even numbered films start with a ship that we see going by from behind the odd numbers, some other type of ship angle. Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we discuss the adventure that was Star Wars Celebration Anaheim. 
Now, before we get too deep into spoiler territory, we'll give you this chance to bail if you don't want to know about the future of Star Wars. Now, consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to play the trailers that played during Star Wars Celebration. We're going to go ahead and do those one at a time. We're going to go with The Force Awakens. We're going to go with The Rebels Season 2 and then Rogue One, the Star Wars Anthology film. Uh, we'll give you a quick, you know, what we thought about that and go from there. So with that, here's The Force Awakens. You know, I really liked the new trailer for The Force Awakens. I think that it managed to do what the first one really didn't, which is really get me excited. The first one didn't have a lot to it, and it was raising more questions than it was actually giving us a sense of what was going on. Um, I do find it interesting that with all the secrecy involved in The Force Awakens, there's a lot of stuff apparently still leaking out because quite a bit of what we saw in that second trailer confirmed things that had already been showing up online. Things like how uh, uh, Kylo Ren, which I still think is a bizarre ripoff name of, of Kaibo Ren Cha from Droids, but hey, if it can be more abandoned instead of Korriban, whatever. Um, the fact that his mask looks so much like Revan's. I don't think he is Revan or has a connection necessarily to Revan. It's just a similar design. Mm -hmm. But we had seen that mask showing up for, I think it was months, online. And then it shows up finally in the trailer when we get to see him from that angle instead of from behind. Um, exciting stuff, cool stuff. I think it looks very nice. It looks authentic Star Wars, a term we're going to see showing up later in this episode also. So a lot of my wariness that I had of certain elements from that first one have sort of calmed. I'm still not sure about the whole thing. You know, saber with the, the, the energy guard looking thing going on where it's got the three different blades on it. That still seems odd even now that we've seen a brief clip of it in action. But for instance, I watched the live streaming thing, which was awesome, by the way. I didn't watch a lot of it, 
but I watched some, and years ago I did the whole serious satellite radio listening to some, so at least I've had a chance to participate that way. But I watched that opening thing with The Force Awakens, where, ironically, they cut off the stream right before the trailer itself, and you had to go somewhere else to watch it. Um, and I gotta say, I think I'm a little bit better on the whole design of BB-8 now, the beach ball with the droid head. One, seeing it as a practical effect, and two, seeing the size. I guess for whatever reason, I was thinking of this thing as, like, R2-D2 size. And the fact mm. that that ball would have to be freaking gigantic. We're talking puffer pig big. Um, but no, he's much more diminutive. It makes more sense. I mean, not really basketball size, but actually sort of beach ball size, as opposed to being this giant ball with a standard-sized astromech head on it. Uh, oddly enough, the one thing that, that made me scratch my head on the new trailer is simply the look of Chewbacca at the end. You know, Chewbacca, we're home. Holy crap! You know, that's wonderful and all. But at the same time, uh, I'm sitting back and looking at Chew and going, huh, so that's how Wookiees age. But beyond that, um, really got me psyched for the new film in a way that that first teaser really didn't. The first one was like, cool, a new Star Wars movie's coming. But I was already excited for that in general. This is more of a, wow, I want to see more of this. Yeah, Chewbacca definitely ages like Sam Elliott. You know, he gets better looking with age. Uh, definitely, uh, you know, no longer running and being a smuggler on the run is, is definitely going to his, you know, advantage. He's able to go to the spa, <laughs> get his hair dyed. Uh, yeah, he definitely looked almost younger in that regard. Interestingly enough, for me, when we showed up, I was late. Uh, you know, well, I thought it was on time, but no, we were uh, outside still standing in the long, long line that bent all the way around the Anaheim Convention Center. Uh, luckily, we had just came around where you could see the food vendor troughs way down the way. Uh, you crossed the, the little path that the taxis could get into the hotel itself. Uh, and about at that point, that's where I saw uh, Dan Contreras. Uh, you know, he was like, Mark! so I, I was able to give him his uh, Star Wars Beyond the Film shirt and he let us cut up about 50 people in line and we hung out and, and I quickly found out through him, uh, you know, you, you just ask people to stop and take a picture and they're all happy to do it. So that was kind of fun getting to take pictures with him and stuff and hang out with him and walk our way up the line. And, and you know, about the time when the uh, Santa Claus started to go, you could see everybody that lived locally that was still in line drop their heads and suddenly little clusters would happen around their phone. Of course, you know, I had zero signal at all. Even if I was off my Wi-Fi or on the Wi-Fi, it didn't matter. I could never find a signal. So I was constantly dealing with that. But eventually Dan was able to get it on his phone and we were able to find it. In fact, through your link uh, on Facebook, you put up the link of the trailer and that was how we found it. Uh, so we were watching it in line, uh, you know, and, when I was talking to Riley, they they were able to get inside. Uh, you know, they were there early. Uh, the, we talk clones guys now. Ion Cannon. They got there uh, early in like five in the morning. They offered me to go with them, but I was like, yeah, I'm not getting up that early. I'm tired. Because the night before, I stayed up 24 hours just to make the flight down there. So I wasn't about to do that. Uh, but they actually they were like the last ones to get in, and and they said that the energy level when all of that was going down, and when it got to that point where you know, Chewy, we're home. You know, it, it that that. First panel starts out, it's all black, uh, you know, and then you hear Han say, Chewie, we're home. And then as he says home, it, it zooms to them. And they did something similar when we get to the Rebel Season 2 trailer with the big reveal on that one. And I think, you know, in both these cases, we had three words that blew up the fandom. And that whole Chewie, we're home, that was that became the adopted anthem, the theme of the day 
uh, for Star Wars Celebration. Everybody felt like, you know, we're home. That sense of, you know, this is it. We're here. Uh, and, you know, I, I've heard other podcast hosts and stuff talk about this from Celebration 5 and Celebration 6. But to be there, you know, it, it, there is this Lazarus effect, you know, this bathing in the waters of our fandom and coming out renewed and, and overjoyed all over again. And and even though I wasn't in that room, I still had that effect. Uh, you know, I was excited about little things. You know, the fact that we saw Luke Skywalker's, uh, you know, lightsaber that he got from his father Anakin showing up, and and the voiceover. In fact, with the voiceover, a lot of people they thought it was actually Hamill from, uh, you know, one of the earlier films. But they actually had that. Plus, they had him go back and re-record over some spots and add a reverb effect. They played it slightly out of order, so it was, you know, everybody was analyzing it and reanalyzing it. You know, okay, we see a metal hand. That's got to be Luke. It's talking when he's talking about, you know, I have it. And then, and then we see, you know, a girl giving it to another girl when it says, my sister has it, you know, and so there was all these different speculations as to that. Uh, when the Falcon goes flying into what looked like a Star Destroyer, you know, the more we looked at it, the more we're like, maybe that's a super Star Destroyer. When you're really looking at it, it looks like there's a second set of engines up farther. Uh, little tiny details like that were really being torn apart. Um, and, and I think, you know, that, that just for a kickoff, like that really set things in motion because Everybody that had, you know, a spot in line that they were waiting, it, it suddenly went from I can't wait to be inside there to I have something to talk about right now. And everybody was talking about it. It was it was really cool moment. Um, you know, the, you mentioned Revan, the look for uh, Kylo Ren. And that, too, you know, I went to the Force Awakens Museum and they let us take as many pictures as we want. And and the character model that they had up there wearing the, the full robe and stuff, it very much reminded me of Revan, like a very toned down version of Revan. Uh, you know, and we've talked about it on the show about how, you know, the story group is acting like George Lucas and they're taking the EU, the Legends elements, and they're revamping them just like George did with Quinlan Voss and things like that. And there's definitely that that feeling coming across when you talk with Pablo, uh, when you talk with uh, Dave Filoni and stuff, they're, they're talking about nothing's being left behind. They're going to reuse as many things as they can. Uh, but yet at the legend side of things, you know, you, you get a lot of, of reassurance from Jennifer Heedle and from Shelly Shapiro. Uh, you know, legends is not forgotten. While it's not the focus right now, it is definitely not forgotten. Those stories, those characters are well loved. Uh, so, you know, the theory of, Will we get legends within the next 10 years? I'm more confident than ever that we will. And I'm almost even more confident that it might be within five years. Um, you know, we've, we've seen just this last week alone, the week that we're recording this, uh, you know, we've had the star Wars adventures put out one more, uh, little short story that would have been book number three of the series. Uh, it came out online. The old Republic MMO has got a little short story that came out. Uh, you know, during, uh, I believe it was the untold clone wars, Pablo had mentioned, you know, that the fact that Tor was in fact a legends, you know, verifying that there was a lot of really cool questions and, and, and things like that after the panels that were going down. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if, if I was in the force awakens trailer room itself, I think I would have had the reaction that I have for the rebel season two, cause I was there for that one. Um, and, and being in there definitely changes up the, the level of the excitement. Like I'm excited from what I was able to participate in. But again, I wasn't in that room. Uh, being in the room for the seasons two one was a totally different experience. And, and it, it, it was like the Death Star one being compared to the Death Star two in excise of, of excitement, man. It was just crazy. Okay. That was a lot of stuff very quickly. Um, let me see. Uh, let me rewind here real quick. Um, first to the trailer. I will say that 
Um, some specific things that stood out to me with the trailer that had me intrigued. I was kind of surprised by the look of Ray. Um, given the fact that Daisy Ridley, all the pictures that we've tended to see of her have tended to be her as the actress, as herself, not necessarily in the film. Um, you get this sense of her being very much sort of like a Kira Knightley type figure, uh, in a sense, very similar in look, but not the same look as Natalie Portman. And you almost start to build your expectations of what we're going to see of her based on Leia and Padme. Whereas in the trailer, we get something very, very different. We get the, the hair pulled back, the, the junk dealer type thing, the, the Anya Solo type look going that they seem to be going for, um, which I think worked very well. It, she didn't seem like, oh, well, here's just a Hollywood actress now thrown into a Star Wars film uh, or trying to build up out of the Star Wars film into a bigger career, et cetera, et cetera. It was, here's a Star Wars character, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, it lent that sense of authenticity. The Chewy Were Home line made for a great tagline. I wonder how exactly that's going to work within the story. But part of me also sits back and I'm hoping that the very next line is that Chewy looks at Han, growls, and flips whatever the Wookiee version is of the middle finger at Han. Because remember, Lucas had a big role in at least the conceptualization of Chewie's family for the holiday special that was then carried over into Legends. So we don't know at this point whether or not, in canon, Chewie still has a family. But if Chewie does still have a family, unless they are, wherever they wound up, isn't that basically saying, Chewie, we're home. F your family. We're home because I say this is home, mother. You know? Um, <laughs> I found it funny. It's kind of like, oh, so does he or does he not have a family? Which is not something, I guess, that... I mean, we all kind of assume the holiday special is not part of canon. We all sort of assume that all these Legends books that had the family are not canon. But they really haven't referenced anything yet as to his family in canon, which makes you wonder if it even exists. I would say no. I, I think with the way George Lucas backpedaled from the holiday special, I think that uh, Lumpy and, and Mala are gone. Goodbye to Lumpy, Mala, Itchy, and the Wookiee VR porn machine. Uh <laughs> Terminology was pretty cool to learn, where uh, I, I guess it's pictures out of that same exhibit you were talking about. We found out that apparently the Imperials are the First Order, yep. and the Rebellion has become the Resistance, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, I, I, I'd i say that I got a better sense and a, a better appreciation for Poe Dameron from seeing Oscar Isaac on the panel uh, that they broadcast, because he seemed like just sort of a down-to-earth... No, he was the one who was calm, right? Uh, <laughs> Daisy Ridley and and uh, John Bogoya, am I saying that right? Or Boyega? Boyega. Boyega. Um, were, I mean, they were funny on the panel in that they were just, it seemed like, giddy. Especially John. Uh, it was like he was trying to play the role of the guest and the MC at the same time. Like, like what's up? Kind of stuff. Um, and, and they just sort of came off as... Um, the super fans who are now getting to play a role. Whereas Oscar Isaac came off as much cooler, calmer, collected, um, which makes me think that that's sort of the demeanor we may be seeing from Poe within the film, because it seems like that's the way he carries himself, which I thought was cool. Um, I do agree the voiceover thing, uh, somewhat confusing to people. It's lines that we heard back in Return of the Jedi. Uh, they don't sound exactly the same, but very, very close. Um, but even the, you know, you have it too, or you have that power too, that's out of Return of the Jedi, but used with a different context once you remove a bunch of other lines around it. 
I did find it interesting when they confirmed that the desert planet isn't Tatooine like everybody thought. Yeah. It's Jakku, which they then, uh, I believe it was Pablo Hidalgo then confirmed on Facebook was J-A-K-K-U, which is kind of cool. Um, you referenced the fact that it seems like they're bringing over Legends elements here and there, or that at least they have the, the capacity to do those. And you compared it to George Lucas doing it with the Clone Wars. And I would agree, yet disagree. Because when Lucas did it for the Clone Wars, he basically just grabbed something that looked cool or mm-hmm. sounded cool and brought it over in whatever way he wanted to. Quinlan Boss, hey, he looks cool. He was a background character in Phantom Menace, so technically he's mine. I'm going to bring him over and screw his personality. Greedo? Yes, we said Greedo. Who cares if I've already told them it's not the same character? It's okay to make him not the same character. Greedo the elder, Greedo the younger. I'm just going to make him all the same character again and screw everything else over. Um, et cetera, et cetera, Korriban, Moriband, all that stuff. Whereas the story group is Hidalgo, it's Chi, and so forth. People who ha- who are very seeped in that background of Legends. So my argument would be that, yes, they're doing what Lucas did in a sense with Legends as being able to tap into things and bring over ideas and designs and such. But unlike Lucas, they're not being dicks in how they do it. Yeah, Filoni mentioned that that one of the big changes in that approach was that when Lucas did it, he was very visual. You know, he liked the look of something, and so he would take it and use it. Uh, So there is that definite attention to detail when it comes to, you know, Filoni and crew. I mean, Filoni knows more of the background and stuff. Uh, When I was at the Star Wars at Delray, uh, someone had asked a question about, you know, well, now that Legends is Legends and Canon is Canon, are are the planets all the same? Are they going to be recreated? And John Jackson Miller had mentioned, you know, that they weren't going to be recreating the wheel that for all intents and purposes uh it's the same universe and he and he said that a couple times you know it's the same universe uh and then he would say it like that you know we're not going to recreate the wheel you know if we got a planet here that works we're going to use that planet so so there's definitely uh an interesting you know well for me and you especially you know knowing what we know about the way canon used to work and stuff like that uh you know as to what will be canon you know like like you were mentioning with Chewie's family you know there are all these these preconceptions that we had from what was before that it's like well how is that going to fit now uh, and, and to hear that, you know, some of the locations and stuff are going to still be the same. They're not going to be, you know, vastly changing the universe. That was reassuring because, you know, you've got all these guidebooks and stuff with the planets and maps in there. It's like, you know, to find out that, well, yeah, that only exists to Legends 100% accurately. You know, like it doesn't even apply to canon. The planets are totally in new locations. Uh, Alderaan, it's in the Outer Rim. Like that would have that would have been like a big shocker to find out. So it was very reassuring in that regard to find out that those worked in that regard. But yeah, Filoni is definitely going to be, uh, I think, taking and utilizing things in ways that wouldn't have before destroyed other things. Uh, you know, they they also mentioned at the Star Wars at Delray panel that, you know, because elements uh, like from Intarkin, you know, with Lucino mentioning and referencing things from other books, just because those things, those elements were mentioned doesn't mean the whole book came canon, but those events actually happened in canon. So it, it's 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 a very interesting aspect. And yet at the same time, it allows them to do really cool things like having Rilo Ren have a look very similar to Revan's, but still not be Revan. Uh, you mentioned also uh, Ray's character. And the connections there, and a lot of people were, were speculating that, you know, she's either an Anya solo type or a Jaina solo type. Uh, a lot of people were putting that, you know, that they're thinking that those are going to be the elements that they're going to pluck and create the Ray character from. Uh, but, you know, as of right now, it's still speculation until we know more. But it is nice, though, to to have these trailers come out and stuff and have little, 
you know, nuances that, that we know and we recognize kind of come through. I mean, you know, when you see uh, Jakku and you see that big Star Destroyer crashed on the background, there's also a little TIE fighter or not TIE fighter next wing crashed into the ground there as well. Uh, you know, the Force Awakens Museum, we found out the First Order, like you said. We also found out that the X-Wing is a T-70, not a T-65. Uh, and in that, you also can see, and I, I took a bunch of pictures. I'm going to share links to my uh, Facebook uh albums of this i made them public because i took so many pictures but the x-wing you can see bb in the back and that was one of the things that i was i was as well like you curious as to the size of bb uh so seeing him next to r2 also made me feel a little more reassured and then seeing him in the museum as well seeing him next to other bodies and stuff like that i was like okay give you a much more idea of the size because when that teaser one came out and you just saw him racing across there was really nothing to judge what size he was, you know, and you think about how R1 units are supposed to be huge monsters and stuff like that. Like, I'm glad he isn't this giant Indiana Jones, you know, boulder come rolling out kind of thing. But then when I heard he was in the X-Wing, that that's when my interest was very much peaked. So getting to see that, you know, in that museum and stuff and take the pictures of it was really cool as well. And that's when, as you said, we found out about the First Order, the Resistance, uh, and, and how that's going to play are, are also elements that I'm very curious of as well, because the trailer doesn't really give you much on that idea. I mean, from the Imperial side of things, you know, you see the really cool Star Destroyer. Uh, you see the the TIE pilots got like what looks like the 181st blood stripes down the front of it. We got those new TIE uh, panels on the TIE fighters and stuff. Some really cool aspects of that that I thought was really cool. Uh, Vader's mask showing up when they say, you know, my father had it. Uh, Definitely leads most people to think that Ray's going to be a code name. Uh, you know, I think John Harrison uh, from, you know, Khan and, and Star Trek Two into darkness there. I, I would not at all be surprised to find out that she might be the love child of Luke Skywalker. I mean, that definitely seems to be the biggest fan theory out there as of right now. I guess before we move on, um, I would agree as as far as just the oddity of that uh, Vader helmet that was the thing that kind of struck me it's the one part of the trailer that made me go whoa really because wow you gotta wonder okay he was on a funeral pyre and then they somehow collected the helmet apparently so is there any biological material still in there is there like a rotted chard or i guess chard even more than on mustafar head inside that helmet that's kind of nasty um <laughs> with bb I do find it interesting that, you know, uh, Netanyahu gets his own droid. Sorry for the, all the political people out there. Benjamin Netanyahu, Prime Minister of Israel, they know him as Bibi. Uh, and, wow, interesting. If an element from a story shows up in canon, that doesn't necessarily bring the whole book over. Gosh, I wonder who's been saying that for over a decade. I believe it was <laughs> right? me and most of us Timelighter people out there. Um, who understand this whole multiple continuity thing, and yet people still try to claim that that's the case over and over and over again. But it's nice to actually hear it, you know, from the horse's mouth. Oh, oh wait, too soon? Can we not use horse with the whole Dark Horse Marvel thing? <laughs> Straight from the uh, the the Womp Rat's mouth. There you go. Yeah. Bullseye. So speaking of Star Wars on film, I know we're going to go more heavily in-depth with Rebels and the Clone Wars in Rebels Roundtable, whenever uh, those who attended Celebration from the team are going to come together and talk about this, uh, including our new member who has yet to be revealed. But I think it's apropos for this show. I mean, we're already talking about The you know, the Force Awakens, and that's not beyond the films. That is the film. 
Uh, I think Rebels and Clone Wars are beyond the films enough to be part of it. Now, speaking of live-action films, before we move into the animated stuff, there was another trailer revealed, though not revealing a whole lot, at Celebration that gave us the look at our first Star Wars anthology film. No, not Star Wars anthology, the audio drama series that I did back in 2003 onward. Um, they, the title is being picked up. I mean, not intentionally, of course. The title is being picked up here as a way of denoting which films aren't the numbered Star Wars films at this point. So we have Star Wars anthology Rogue One, the one that has been rumored repeatedly online to have a lead character who will be a woman, though as far as I know, that has yet to be confirmed. But that's the one where they were suggesting even uh, Tatiana, what's her name, from um, Orphan Black being considered for the role. But from what I understand, casting is currently still ongoing at this point for Rogue One. more than a thousand generations. The Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the old Republic. Before the dark times. Before the Empire. Yeah, Rogue One was one I wasn't able to get in on. I was able to catch the trailer once it was leaked online by somebody's cell phone. Uh, went really short, real quick. Uh, you know, it's I, I I don't even know if it was a trailer that had this been what we'd have gotten for like say The Force Awakens. Like if this would have been the very first ooh new Star Wars live action films and this was the teaser. I think it would have been a letdown. I think because we'd already just gotten a second trailer for The Force Awakens, uh, we'd already gotten our Rebels Season 2 trailer, I think that this one served its purpose well because you already had bigger things to deliver. So this was like one more additional awesomeness, you know? But if this was like the big crowning piece of trailers that we would have got, I think people would have felt really let down. I mean, you have, what, maybe 50 seconds? And it does a really cool buildup and stuff, but it doesn't really give you a sense of really what the show's about. I mean, you see a jungle, you're like, we're on Endor maybe, not exactly sure there if, if that's supposed to be there at that time or what planet. Maybe this is despair even. Uh, but then you see the Death Star kind of in the background like a secondary moon itself. And so, you know, you got Kenobi doing his generations of the Jedi being there and stuff. But beyond that, there's really not much that gives you the sense of what this movie is going to be about. Then it goes black screen and you see the Rogue One title and you see like these little spotlights and then you get like a lot of the soldier screaming kind of stuff. That soldier screaming is probably the most accurate as what you're going to get from this film. I mean, at least that's kind of where I'm kind of coming from. I kind of hope for a film that can also at the same time, not just retell the story of how Leia got the Death Star plans, but I would really like them to take the opportunity to explain how that port 
was left open and no one in the Empire found out. Like, you know, take a moment while it's all going down and be like, and one of our Bothans sliced in and has hidden, you know, this shaft kind of thing. You know, have it where it makes sense. Because that's one of the things after rereading Tarkin that has really been sticking with me a lot from canon of, of being like one of those things like that really doesn't make sense. You got this gigantic, impenetrable space station with this glaring open weakness. Like now if that glaring open weakness was hidden, like on all the blueprints, you don't see that except for this one accurate blueprint that the rebels stole. That would make more sense. And maybe the empire is looking for it because they know there's a weakness, but they just don't know where it's at. That would up the element of of intensity for the whole saga all the way around and take care of that aspect of, well, hey, we've basically been hanging with our fly down the whole time. I thought that the trailer, or the teaser, I guess, for Rogue One, did a really good job of showing us one element that will definitely, definitely be in the film. Uh, trees. Lots. Lots. Trees. Pretty much. Uh, I agree, this would have been a huge disappointment as a trailer or as a teaser even, if we hadn't also seen The Force Awakens. But the fact that now we're learning a little bit more about what the story is going to be about, I think sort of mitigates that. Because they gave us the teaser, we're like, oh look, trees and Death Star. What the hell is going on? And then we find out the title. Awesome. But what the hell is going on? Then we get the the write-up information that winds up coming out of Celebration about it, where it's basically not going to be involving Jedi, and it's going to be a rebel team on a mission basically to steal the Death Star plans. And that has gotten a really heavily divided reception from the fan community, from what I can tell. You've got one side basically saying, why do we need to see this again? We've seen this over and over and over. We'd seen it ad nauseum, right? Because we heard about it with Top Rara, going back to the radio drama back in the day. We saw it in Dark Forces and had Kyle Katarn being part of it. Uh, there are references to it in other works like the Bounty Hunter Jedi Dawn stuff. How many times do we need to find out how the Death Star plans were stolen and how many freaking sets of plans were there? I mean, they had to retcon it and basically say that the plans being used in the film were compiled together from multiple sources in order to explain away why so damn many people are going out there stealing the freaking Death Star plans. It's like this and, you know, how do they find the base on Hoth? When does Luke finally go back home to Tatooine, etc., etc.? There are these bits and pieces of Star Wars storytelling that, you know, every few years, someone would think, I'm original, I'm going to tell this story that no one's ever told before, and it was bunk because they never bothered to research the fact that it had already been told. Um, kind of like the way that Marvel and others have been touting some of these stories being released in the new story group canon, saying, you know, for the first time ever. Well, kind of. It's the first time ever in canon, but not the first time that that type of story has been told. And that's kind of what we've got here. You've got a story that we've heard over and over again in varying forms, in legendary forms. This is supposed to give us the so-called true story. Um, to me, I've, I'm with the camp, the other side of the argument, which is that it sounds pretty interesting in that this is a, a an important element in any Star Wars continuity, if you're going to make the whole plot of A New Hope about finding the Death Star plans and getting it to the Rebel Alliance, then who stole them is a crucial piece of the overall storyline and how that happened. Well, part of the reason why it became such a mess in the Legends continuity was that it was never shown on film or on anything Lucas himself actually pushed. Uh, it, 
you know, not showing up in the Clone Wars, for instance. Instead, you had this jumbled up mess when Lucas did turn around and start touching on Death Star plans back in the prequels as for where they originated, and then there's all kinds of retconning having to be done with it. It was never something that was, at least in terms of the Legends continuity, G or T canon. It was always something in C. Now what we've got here is they're not leaving it up to books or comics. Um, they say that with story group canon, or whatever you want to call it, everything is going to be equal. I am still dubious about that when we get to a point where there's a film that contradicts something or wants to contradict something in a book or a comic. Uh, whether or not they're really going to stick to that and the film is going to have to bend to what's come before in a comic or a novel. But in this case, they're taking away that ambiguity and saying, we're going to show this story in a movie. This is how it is. And you don't have to run the risk of a bunch of people trying to rewrite the story over and over again. So I'm actually probably more excited about this one just based on that teaser and what they told us about it than I probably was based on the original teaser for The Force Awakens. Just because of the the implications for this, for this new timeline, this new continuity that they're creating, that they're going to take this crucial element and not leave it up to future reinterpretation and flat out say, here's the movie, here's how it happens, we are done. That's the other upside about the story group being George Lucas now. Because, yeah, they're, they're going to say flat out, no, no, okay, that's the official, that's how it happened, and, and I'm hoping this will be the last time we ever get this story. Uh, same with the, the finding of the Hoth base and of those nature. You know, I remember when I first got into EU, there were certain era, I usually call it the Bantam era, the early Bantam era, where the books were just kind of like, okay, it's the same thing. We're going up against this resurrected empire, where we got the super weapon of the week, you know. And it felt like a lot of things were being rehashed and stuff. And then and then we'd have the news stories that would come out like, you know, Brian Woods volume two of Star Wars. Uh, and I think at least in this regard, I know that or at least it's it feels like I know that I'm never going to have to have this story come down one more time. It's like this is it. This will be, you know, the the one and done of that. And from here on out, it'll be the the buildup. So I guess now that we've got the new canon, I'm a lot more forgiving of going back for those kind of stories. I'm just kind of like, at least let it be a really good story. You know, let's not, you know, if we're going to have to go back and retread, if you're going to be retreading and you're going to take some elements of stuff, take the best elements of the thing and then build something new with those best elements. You know, don't just forsake it all and build something new that's mediocre at best. Like I, that's the aspect that I, I hope that, that, you know, when it comes to rebels and stuff, Dave Filoni's really kind of grabbing it and utilizing things instead of remaking things so much, you know? I mean, Lucas would bring in a new species when there was already like two species on a planet kind of thing. And I, I got the feeling that that won't be the case from here on out, at least. So in that regard, I'm, I'm like, you know, I can take a deep breath. I, I can relax a little. I know before the announcement of Legends and all that kind of stuff, going back would just be something. Why are we having to retread this? But at least I've got that clarity now that I know that we're building something here. I'm, I'm more curious now as we go forward, like doing that, that, that catch 20 or the hindsight looking back you know it's like get to that point and look back and like okay now i'm seeing the plan now i'm starting to see what the the living room's looking like with the wallpaper on and that color carpet and, and now that we put furniture in it's starting to look like a home you know like at, when they first said it i'm looking at canon like it's just bare walls with no drywall and no insulation i'm like what are we we're gonna we're supposed to live in this like <laughs> we had a huge mansion over here and you want me to live in this like <laughs> So at least now I'm finally starting to see through the gray. <laughs> I 
Now, of course, the stuff we're getting with Star Wars films are not the only visual video type of Star Wars stories that they were talking about at Celebration. They also looked at what was coming up for Season 2 of Rebels and even some new materials, some uh, newly presented, I guess is the best way to put it, materials for the Clone Wars. Things that uh, were not complete at the time that Season 6 aired on Netflix and things kind of wrapped up, kind of like the Utapau arc had been and whatnot. So I know we're going to talk about this, in, well, you're going to talk about this in more depth on Rebels Roundtable when you and the others who were able to go, including our person who hasn't been announced yet, who's our new member of the team, uh, get a chance to get on and do sort of a roundup of Rebels and Clone Wars news from Celebration. But I still think it's, you know, it's appropriate for this show because, heck, we were just talking about films and we are beyond the films, so what the heck is up with that? Uh, Rebels and Clone Wars are beyond the films. They're television series. So I guess... Starting with uh, Rebels, uh, what did you glean from Celebration? So I managed to get into the New Allies and New Villains panel. Uh, me and my son got in there. That was uh, on his birthday, in fact. That was one of the few things I got to do at Celebration at that point. Because, see, you know, I was down there doing a family vacation first. And then Celebration happened to be that same week. So, you know, we had a five-day park hopper at Disney. And then all of a sudden, four more days at Celebration. <laughs> So we had to do some balancing, and unfortunately, that was one of the days. Uh, but my son, you know, he he loves the Clone Wars, so I was like, hey, you want to go watch this Bad Batch? You know, it's a four-arc, uh, you know, thing. We can go from there and go see the Allies and Villains panel. So, you know, we go down there, and we did that, and, and you know, he had a blast. I had a blast. Uh, you know, yeah, they're a lot like the Utapau stuff when it comes to the Clone Wars stuff, and, and we'll get more into that later. But I got to tell you, man, it, it, again, the the – feelings of being in that room with those people and stuff i mean when we see echo's character finally show up on that film i i, I tell you i teared up man uh you know it wasn't even complete graphics or anything it just had the complete voiceovers you know the voiceovers were the ones that you would have heard in the final episode for the most part like if a character lifts up his arm you could see inside the model and that kind of stuff with the graphics but it was enough that what had happened to that character I, I I literally put my hand in my mouth and was like, oh, my God, like it was wow, uh, sad, tragic uh, even. So, you know, we'll get more into that as we go. But the Rebels one, uh, that was my kickoff. You know, that was my first time being in a big panel. In fact, unfortunately, that was my only time because uh, I wasn't able to get back into that panel for anything else. Every time I tried getting into anything, I'd miss the queue. The queue would be too full and they wouldn't let anyone else in. But I was able to get in. Me and my son, we first we started on the on the floor and I was like, you know, I want to get up high so we can really see it. So we went up into the third floor. I uh, had a really cool set of seats and stuff. And, you know, when everything started going, they were bringing out all the actors. It was really fun watching how, uh, you know, they were doing it and stuff. Uh, Jat had this really cool it, – it played the original teaser trailer with him popping around behind everything. You know, hey, make some room, you know, and racing BB and that kind of stuff, trying to get to the stage. So really cool opening. And then, you know, he did his uh, uh, his talk with me. He's got this uh, talking to myself panel that he was going to do later that night where he does all these different voices. So he did like two minutes at the beginning where he was like, and I do this voice and that voice. And he start talking in those voices. Really cool. My son got a kick out of that. Uh, but then, you know, they, they're like, hey, you know, we, we got this thing, you know, season two. You guys, we got a trailer for it. You want to watch? <laughs> you know, of course, everybody wants to watch it. Uh, and I actually, I videotaped the uh, the first part of the trailer when they're when they're doing it. And, you know, they get to the point where the screen goes black. And again, we have those three words and everybody goes nuts. And this time it was, my name's Rex. 
And when I mean, they don't even show Rex at this point. They just he just says that, and then it fades out to a Walker that's all you know set up like Swiss Family Robinson. It's got like a home set up built up on it, like a tree fort kind of thing. And you see it walking, and then all of a sudden a door opens up, and out comes bald bearded Rex with two other clones on each side. And I mean. At this point, before the door even opens, the crowd the crowd is just insane. You know, there was more applause for My Name's Rex than there was when Darth Vader showed up and Palpatine, who was being voiced by Sam Whitmer, was speaking. And that had a lot of cheers, too. Uh, Ahsoka, you know, she's all like, can I tag along? Some cheers. But Rex, everybody went nuts. Even the new Inquisitor didn't get that much screaming.
master has deceived you into believing you can become a Jedi. That was cool. And then after the fact, like they, they showed it twice uh, and everybody was wondering who the other two clones were. Uh, and then I'd say about an hour after that panel, people were already putting stills up online. And that was when you saw a still of one of it. You know, it's open. You see Rex in the front. You see the two clones behind him. And I swear that one on Rex's left side has got to be Wolf. He's got the eye. He's got the scar. Everything about it seems to be Wolf. Uh, and then the other one, everyone's leaning towards it being Gregor. The reason is a gauntlet. There's one gauntlet that kind of looks a lot like Gregor's gauntlet from when we saw Gregor last. Is there any truth to the Gregor? I don't know. I think in a lot of ways, that's a lot of us fans really hoping and holding our breath. I don't really see Gregor story-wise fitting very well. It's like, why would he get with Rex and them? He really wasn't with Rex and them. Uh, whereas with Wolf, like there, there might be a reason for that. Plus, you know, from uh, the Bad Batch Q&A, we find out, you know, Dave Filoni is a huge fan of Doctor Doom. Uh, you know, we had uh, Commander Thorne, other Avenger characters made it in. And Filoni only kept Doom alive. He made sure the rest all died. So naturally, you know, Wolfpack, seeing Commander Wolf living, I kind of lean towards that being a Filoni thing, you know. Uh, they also mentioned, you know, with all these characters showing up in a couple of the Q&As, about the fact that they're very prevalent of the idea that this is not Clone Wars Volume 2. They don't want to get to that point. You know, we see Hondo show up in the in this trailer. Uh, and so someone asked about Cad Bane, and he flat out said, you know, we're probably not going to be seeing Cad Bane. Uh, you know, in the Untold Clone Wars arc, we saw that there were some arcs with Cad, where we find out that Cad was supposed to be training Boba, uh, that there was this big question of who the best bounty hunter was, Cad Bane or Jango Fett. And the two of them saw themselves as the number one, but there was no way to see who was the best. And then Jango died. So Cad's taking it upon himself to train Boba to answer that question. And so then they, you know, they'd show us some stills of that. But he was, again, pointing out the fact that, you know, we probably won't be seeing Cad unless Cad shows up for a purpose. They don't want these characters just to be showing up. They want them to have a story of their own that crosses through the Rebels family. Uh, you know, that that the truth of this this Rebel show is the Rebels, the the family of Rebels that we see. Everyone else is kind of just flowing through at the moment and are going to be coming in and out as the story demands it. Uh, so so that was kind of refreshing in and of itself because you see all these characters and you're really excited to see them all show up. But there is that other contingent of fans that are like, you know, why can't we just have Clone Wars Volume 2? Why do we have to make Rebels be Clone Wars Volume 2? So it was nice seeing that that, that was also one of the, the uh, guiding lights of Filoni's vision when it comes to bringing those guys in. Uh, we see some really cool stuff with Ezra and, and Kanan fighting against Vader and Vader saying some things to Ezra. And he's like using the force on Ezra, bringing the lightsaber back towards him. I mean, there were so many cool elements of this. They, again, they played it twice, uh, but I think everybody went ape both times. Like, I think people were more excited on the second time through because then they even knew it was like everybody was ready to cheer. Everybody was soaking it in. Uh, so that was definitely a, a really cool aspect as well. So for me, when I was watching this one, this is how I, I felt how everybody was watching The Force Awakens. You know, they came out. They were just supercharged, super pumped. I was kind of more irritated. I was standing out in the line still and I had to watch it through, you know, 
Facebook. I watched it almost an hour later kind of thing. So I was really irritated. This time I was watching it as it happened. I was part of the no. You know, I was trying to tweet out kind of stuff. Uh, so, yeah, there's definite change in the atmosphere and the general feel for me sitting in that chair in that stadium while it went down. Um, and, and that's, I think, the overall for, for celebration, the impression that I think everyone needs to go to one celebration in their life. Uh, you know, go get in on some of these panels, be there in that moment. You know, when, when I found out the day before, you know, that uh, for the JJ and Kathleen Kennedy thing, that people were lining up at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night. I was like, dude, I don't want to camp out for that. But knowing the level of feeling that my friends that made it in to that came away with. Next time, I think I will camp out. I know for sure I'm not going to be bringing my family with me again because I was trying too hard to balance the line. I missed out on a lot of things I would have liked to have done, uh, you know, worrying about my wife being irritated and angry, hoping she's having a good time on her vacation because it's not just my vacation, things like that. Um, I didn't get to see the Rebels 2 premiere because she had a surprise for me and she wouldn't tell me what it was, but I, I had to have this day and time selected and I'm like, you're kidding me. She's like, no, no, I've got, I've got this really big surprise and, and you can only do it here. And I'm like, but that's, that's the one day and the one time for the one event that before this even started, the moment they said it was coming down, I was going to go to. And that was the premiere of season two. So she desperately tried to arrange it uh, a different time. Didn't work out. In the end, I missed the premiere, but I got to meet Mark Hamill. So, so there was that. But yeah, I mean, I, I would have, after seeing this trailer, I would have loved to have sat in on that premiere, uh, to know what was going to happen, to have that little bits of information. Uh, I did happen to overhear a lady talking about some of it. So I, d I did get some of that. So I do have kind of some ideas of aspects of between, uh, Kanan and Vader and, and Ahsoka and the Force. Uh, some really cool tidbits there that, that I'm excited to see how it played out. Cause I, once I realized what she was talking about, I kind of stepped away. I was like, I don't want to spoil myself too much. Uh, but now there's that wait, you know, I got to wait with everyone else to get to watch the actual full thing. And this trailer does a really good job of setting it up. You know, Kanan talking about them only being the only two Jedi at the moment. There used to be thousands and stuff. Uh, I, I just, I love the way it was all set up. And I, and in fact, when we went and saw the bad batch, uh, the the arc we were sitting in line behind the guy that did the trailer for this uh you know uh tom of uh, ion cannon happened to work with the guy's wife and he was just like hey do i know next thing you know we're all just chatting away and i'm like i get a text from william Devereux, and he's like that's the guy that did the trailer for rebels i'm like Dude, that's so cool uh so there was a lot of little moments like that where i'm running into people that i wouldn't have known that they were you know somebody that had something to do with something that i love that much unless somebody else was pointing it out so so many angles uh in that regard you know so many aspects that i wish you could have been there my man uh, you know, I know how you were sitting at home and at one point you're like, you know, I don't know about podcasting and I'm just like, man, you need to come, you need to go to these things and, and, and bathe in the Lazarus effect, man. It, it's definitely fun and, and seeing them on these big screens, even though I was way up on that third floor and stuff, it was just immense. Now, I think the podcasting thing for me was just, you, you, I'll hit those slumps every now and then. And I don't know why it just kind of happens. Is that, that sort of, do I want to keep doing this? You know, it takes up so much time, although not nearly as much as it used to. And, man, do I really have anything to say? Do people actually really give a crap what I say? Why should they give a crap what I say, et cetera, et cetera, kind of stuff. But, I don't know, it happens. I, I think I'm back out of that slump now that I've finally finished some uh, some writing, which actually I guess I'll, I'll need to reference when talking about the trailer here because it does play very specifically into something that I recently wrote about. Um, 
I did really enjoy the trailer. It played very well. I'm wondering how much of the season we're seeing versus how much is just in those first few episodes. Kind of like with the trailers that we got for Rebels Season 1, most of that was stuff from Spark of Rebellion, with the exception of just a handful of clips from other things. Uh, I'm excited for it. I think that they really, they've shown with Season 1 that making that sort of volume one, one big story, that we're in for some pretty cool storytelling in Season 2 if they keep that up and they make it essentially book two of a series, um, as opposed to it being individual episodes or arcs, make it one broader story that then ties into what we saw before. I am kind of on the fence about the recurring characters. I am encouraged by the fact that uh, Filoni and company have been talking about how these are not to be the main characters. Uh, the whole thing about Ahsoka, right? As soon as they were bringing in Fulcrum, they knew they wanted a Fulcrum to be Ahsoka, but initially they weren't even sure they wanted to bring Ahsoka into it, or if so, when, because they wanted the other characters to stand on their feet first instead of it being Clone Wars Part 2. So, with them having said that, I have a measure of faith that that's what they're going to stick to. There's still a wariness of it, of course, because Season 2 is amping it up. It's not just one episode of Ahsoka, it's her showing up probably as a recurring character. It's not just uh, two episodes having Vader in it, if you count the ABC you know, beginning of Spark of Rebellion. Now, he'll be showing up frequently, you know, something we've already seen with Tarkin, and now here's Rex re-entering the stage. Um... I've recently been writing for a book series that Sequart is going to be putting out. Um, the first one is A Long Time Ago, Exploring the Star Wars Cinematic Universe, being edited by uh, Joseph uh, Baranato and Rich Hanley, who Star Wars fans might know well from Star Wars circles. Um, and in that book, the article I was asked to write, or the essay I was asked to write, it's about 7,000 words, give or take, is about Rebels and how successful was season one. And the way I wound up breaking it down was sort of the, here's the chronological context of it in terms of the real world and the changing of canon and, and legends and all that stuff. And all these new announcements that were coming with Star Wars and it's very turbulent time that it entered into. And then it goes from there into things like the development of the main characters, to what extent were they, what do we know about them, if anything. And then there's a whole section on recurring characters or existing characters coming back. And this idea of, did they use it well or was it a gimmick? Right? Like, Lando was extremely poorly used. You know, well-acted character really didn't work for the season. It's the only episode of the season that seems to have had no point in the broader story arc. It was goofy. Why make Lando come back in that one? But then looking into things like, okay, well, Tarkin raised the menace level quite a bit for the Empire when it was already a threat. Now it's an even bigger threat and so on. And one of the, the, the things I had to actually go back and rewrite was the ending of that section because... As I'm, you know, quoting Filoni and such about, oh, well, they're going to use them sparingly and so forth. Now here we get a trailer that's not only here's more Ahsoka, here's more Vader, but hey, here's Rex too. And it, it leaves me wary. I think they used the existing characters relatively well in season one. Even Yoda, by making it so that it seems like the only way he was able to telepathically contact Kanan and Ezra was because they were in the temple. They're able to use him and not say that he's going to come back frequently or have a reason to come back frequently. Obi-Wan shows up, but it's not him, it's the recording. It's well-used you know, reference-type appearances. Whereas here, in Season 2, it does seem like we're going to be seeing a lot more of these existing characters. So I, I, I like the way they did it. I'm wondering how much they're going to lean on those characters in the future. But I have 
a measure of faith. Seeing Ahsoka back, like I said, I like that. I like the fact that we're going to be seeing some interaction apparently between her and Vader, at least what we learn about their knowledge of each other, which would be pretty cool. And as for the clones coming back, that I thought's pretty interesting. I'm interested in who that other clone is too, though I would agree that the second one is almost definitely Wolf. Rex coming back, it's the other big unanswered question, right? I mean, the questions that we were left hanging with at the end of the Clone Wars cartoon series mainly were, what's going to happen to Ahsoka and what's going to happen to Rex? And now we're going to get to find out what that is. That in and of itself makes the appearances, even if they do wind up overblown a little bit to begin with, I think worthwhile to see. Because it gives closure to those people who were big fans of the Clone Wars and didn't feel like they got it. Although I know there are going to be some people griping that, well, if you're going to bring them back here, why not make it their own series? But that's what Star Wars does. You carry over stories of one generation of characters into the next by guest appearances and stuff. I mean, have the people complaining never read novels or comics in Legends? Yeah, in the Untold Clone Wars, they talked about they had actually had a game plan that went past Return or Revenge of the Sith. Uh, they were going to go way past that with Rex's character and Ahsoka's character. <clears throat> they, uh, the whole fives arc with the chip, uh, basically Filoni had said that that played an integral part into Rex's order 66 moment, uh, that by knowing about the chip, uh, it basically allowed him to break the spell, uh, of, of what the chip did in a sense. Uh, but he was also quick to point out that by doing so, by not shooting at the Jedi, when the order goes down, that it immediately makes him an enemy and a traitor as well, and that the clones would shoot on him for not shooting. Uh, so, so there was a huge opportunity for a story to be told uh, just about Rex in that regard. It's like kind of like I really hope that when they have his character in Rebels, they kind of like hint to that because one of the things that Clone Wars did with Rex that really drove me nuts is. Rex, when he had that cobbled together Frankenstein armor, and I think it was season four, maybe season three, uh, and they never really referenced it in the show. They never talked about why he did it. Uh, they never mentioned, hey, Rex, that's a, that's a cool looking armor, any of that. And I would have loved if they would have done something like that. So if they're able to go back and, and have him talk about it to a degree, like, you know, Order 66 when it happened, I think that that would be a great opportunity in and of itself. Uh, another thing that the Clone Wars panel, uh, they showed us, the, too, that I thought you might really get a kick out of is uh, they were planning on the Vong showing up at one point. They showed a picture of a scout ship that they had. Uh, they showed it relative to a Jedi starfighter, uh, and they had a picture of a Vong. They were, basically, it was Rogue Planet. Uh, they were going to adapt part of Rogue Planet with the scouts, the Vong showing up, looking at the planet, uh, looking at the Republic's defenses, seeing how strong they were. But just knowing that the Vong were going to show up in the Clone Wars blew my mind, my man. Blew my mind. I guess it's a good way to, to transition us into the Clone Wars, but I got to say, the idea of the Vong showing up, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Because there's part of it that says, see, that's awesome. When they were planning within the existing Legends continuity still being out there, still being the official version of the Star Wars saga, and they were just producing stuff that they knew was sort of a higher order of true for it, they were going to do some adaptation and they were going to bring in these characters. So see, it's going to more intricately tie things together, kind of like, you know, having Abeloth turn out to be tied into the ones from the Mortis trilogy did with Fate of the Jedi relative to the Clone Wars. Ooh, that would have been cool. But knowing now that the plan became post-Disney, that they were going to create a separate canon 
and they were going to essentially take the legend stuff and push it off to the side, that basically would have raised a lot of questions because you would have been bringing in the Yuzhan Vong into something where, yeah, in the Legends continuity, which the Clone Wars still exists in, yeah, there's that connective tissue with the Vong. But if they had done that with canon, that brings a whole question in of, well, wait a second, is this a one-shot thing? Is this supposed to relate to something coming forward with, you know, what happened in the New Jedi Order? And if so, how are you going to reconcile that with the fact that you've got these new films going on and so forth, unless they're actually going to use the Vong at some point within a film or a spinoff or something like that? I think it would have raised a lot of questions, a lot of ire, and caused a lot of frustration in the long run for canon if they would have done it. Unless, of course, remember, this is the Clone Wars, they did it the George Lucas way, which was, hey, this looks kind of cool, we're going to bring it over and do something kind of like it, but screw everything else that you know about it, I just like the way it looks, isn't it pretty? Did you know the Yuzhan Vong love technology, they just don't usually take it away from home because they don't want it to get broken? It's not that they hate <laughs> it, shut the... You know. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm, I'm torn on the Vong thing. Huge surprise that they were planning on possibly using it. But at the same time, I'm kind of glad, I think, that they didn't. Now that the whole canon legend split has happened. If, if that hadn't happened, I, I think my perspective would be different. But I'm not sure that that would have been a good thing now looking at it. Well, it makes you almost wonder if the Vong are supposed to be something like the Mandalorians and the Sith and the Jedi. That, that eventually they were something that was supposed to be a part of Star Wars or at least Star Wars's future, whether it be, you know, this version, uh, you know, maybe kind of like uh, the alternate version of that war coming down. I mean, that that was where I was kind of more excited was, OK, the Vong, the Vong will still maybe sh they might have shown up still. Uh, you know, I mean, they were the one thing for me with the EU that really got me excited. Uh, you know, the threat level that they were, it, it was like everything that the Empire had done. Uh, but all over again, it was like, oh my gosh, these guys are coming in. They're wiping out everything. They're taking everything over. The Jedi can't fight them. Uh, you know, so that was what it was about the Vong that really got me the most. And the fact that, you know, it seemed at that time like anything could happen, you know, with Ithor getting wiped out, with Coruscant losing a moon, them, sh them moving its orbit, those kind of things. The Vong were, were integral for changing up the Star Wars galaxy. So finding out that the Vong in some form were kind of coming over like that, that's where I was. I was just excited. Like, I didn't even care if it was a different version. I was just tickled to know that that threat was still ever present. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, the Vong. And I think that's, there was a big hush and, and people were whispering uh, as soon as that came up and they were like, yeah, we got that. And, and there were some funny moments where Pablo was talking about when Lucas would take something and, and rechange it, how him and Pablo and, and Chi would send messages back to the, you know, basically hunker down. Here it comes. Fans are going to find out. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, I, I get the trepidation there because it, at the time it definitely would not have been as exciting as to have heard like, okay, the Vong are going to show up in Rebels. Like if I, if I were to hear something like that, I'd be a little more excited because Lucas is already out of the picture. I know Filoni is going to do what he can to make, you know, it be more closer to in line with what we'd seen before, but that wasn't the case. You know, you're right. We'd have seen a Greedo version of the Vong. So, yeah, it's not so much that they have uh, tattoos and scars. It's just that they're a little emo, you know, they just cut themselves when they're, when they're anxious. Um, I, I don't know. I would have loved if they were going to do that though, they needed to bring back Chewbacca. If only for a scene, I would have loved to have seen, and even just give me an outtake, do it as an outtake for the force awakens when it shows up on Blu-ray at some point. Uh, uh, but give us, you know, Chewie, we're home and here's a Vong who drops his, his pants and 
sticks his butt at him so that we have Chewie versus the Yuzhan Vong moon again. <laughs> just for that reference, people can go, oh, I see what you did there, so to speak. Um, but no, with um, Clone Wars, I guess the biggest thing coming out of Celebration was what we hope will eventually find its way onto StarWars.com or home videos somehow, which is the story reels of the Bad Batch arc. And actually, oddly enough, this is probably the one big thing out of Celebration I've heard the least about um, coming out of it here. So uh, how was it? What did it add overall? I mean, what was... How many episodes was it this was comprised of that were these story reels? What was the deal with the Bad Batch? Okay, so it was four episodes. It was basically saving Private Ryan. Uh, you know, the, the weirdest part, I think, was like I, I must have been talking to my son during a critical moment when they were talking about this algorithm that Rex has. Uh, because this algorithm he has is being used against them by Admiral Trench. Uh, it, and so... I, I wasn't, I missed how the algorithm works because it's, it almost has a, a chip kind of quality to it. Like this is, I don't know if it was like a deciding factor is like, okay, they're going to take the left hall kind of thing. Like the, the aspect of how that algorithm worked was lost on me for some reason. They needed to find out how the separatists were using the algorithm though, because it was being used against them and they find it out through a signal and in it you get, uh, Echo saying his number like CT1155 kind of thing. And it was just repeating. And when Rex figures that out, he's just like, it's Echo. The only other person that knows about my algorithm was Echo. Uh, and so then they're like, well, okay, maybe the separatists are using the al algorithm against us. So then it becomes, well, we got to go and save him because they're using it against us. And, and it's on a planet that's neutral. So you know, the, the Republic can't be seen going in. Uh, and so you got Watt Tremor uh, and the, and the, the banking clans are there on the planet and he's doing his little thing and stuff. And so when they finally show up there, this becomes a problem as well, because it's like, well, you're not supposed to be bringing the clone wars here. And eventually Rex is like, well, we didn't, these guys actually are picked. They've picked a side, you know, I mean, up until this point, the people, they don't realize that. And so he's like, they've picked a side, look what they're doing to people. And he references echo, uh, because echo is a shadow of himself. Uh, you know, when you get to the moment where, where they finally get into Echo and you see, you know, what what's happened to him and how he's integral to the the signal itself. They basically made him a computer component. Uh, all the wires are plumbed into him. He's got no lower legs. He's missing an arm. He's got a droid uh, a probe attachment on the one arm and he's got holes all over him that tubes can run into him. He's basically the heart of the computer. Uh, and, and they, at this point, they've done a really good job of ramping up the action and, and Filoni had talked about it beforehand, you know, that they didn't just want episodes of the Clone Wars to be just this one thing. They wanted to always amp it up and ramp it up and ramp it up some more. Uh, and so by the time they get to that point, it's like, you're already like, oh my God, like, are you guys going to get out of here? Like they did a really good job with that. But the Bad Batch themselves was a really fun angle because they were kind of like the the mutant clones. Like none of them looked the same. They didn't look like clones uh, per se. One was was a, a mammoth Hulk like guy. Uh, each one had their own special abilities. Crosshair had you know he was the master sniper. Tech was the tech guy. Uh, in a lot of ways, they were like the Republic commandos. Um, you know, and some people had brought that up as well. Uh, they didn't get along well with the other clones. They didn't get along well in general. And the funniest part. And Felonia talked about it beforehand. 
was the art on their ship. You know how a lot of the ships have pinups and stuff. Well, the Bad Batch, they have their own private ship. It doesn't look like the Republic ship because they tend to go on covert black ops missions. They're the suicide squad, get sent in and aren't expected to come back, but they always come back kind of thing. Well, on the nose of their ship, their pinup is Padme Amidala. And so when they're going to get on, Anakin's like, what is this? And he's looking up and they're, and they're like, oh, it's the senator from Naboo. She's a real looker. And he looks over and Anakin looks over at Rex as the rescue. And he's like, that does not stay on the ship as they get on. Oh, my God. That scene was hilarious. Uh, and the droids that were used in this, they were unique. They were new to the show. Uh, they had an extra set of arms that kind of came up over their head uh, with guns and stuff. So they had like four arms or six arms kind of thing. But there's a moment when the clones take off in flight. Uh, these droids do the same thing. And I was struck by the Wizard of Ozness of it all because they, they had the, the, the monkeys taken to the, the sky feel to them. But again, that gets that aspect of them just ramping it up. They just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. You know, when they when they find Echo, it wasn't just like, well, we've got him and we can go now. It was like, no, he's tied into the computer. We're going to have to slice him out. Uh, you know, it, it was just always one more thing. And then when they finally get back, you know, now it's like, okay, well, now you've brought the Clone Wars to these people after you said you wouldn't. And then Rex gives this great rousing speech as to, you know, why they need to be doing what they're doing and what the Trade Federation is doing and how the Trade Federation is is basically, you know, the Confederacy, they're, they're stripping people and making people robots. And they use Echo as, as that example. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the way that it played out was just brilliantly done. Uh, you know, the, the way the character interactions worked were great. I was loving on, on them. Cody comes, uh, but yet they found a way to make Cody take a backseat, uh, which added to the conflict between the leader of the bad batch and Rex himself, because they were about the same level. And so, so Cody was kind of like the one that really could make them find a common ground. So once Cody was taken out of it, it became, you know, how is Rex going to work with these guys? Well, Rex does what Rex does best. Rex adapts. Uh, you know, he he took their style, their the way that they came out of problem. They come out of problem head on. They don't wait for a problem to come to them. So, you know, he he adopts that approach in certain situations and at the same time is able to show them some advantages of doing things his way. Uh, you know, it was it was really cool. And there was also these aspects that felt like Karen Travis because the, the bad batch looked at the regular ones as normal guys. I they had their own little special uh I think they were calling them normies or something like that. They had their own little nickname for him, basically saying, you know, we're a, a step above you kind of thing. So there was that angle at play as well. There was a lot of really cool things going on inside those those episodes. And like I said, they weren't completed, but there was enough of it there that the emotional cues worked. Uh, you know, when I when I saw Echo, I mean, I was bawling, man. I, I was almost openly sobbing. It was really sad to see what had happened to the character. Uh, and, and at that moment, you, you didn't know if they were going to be able to bring him back at all. Uh, so as that played out, it was interesting to watch as well. There, there were so many angles that, that I, you know, it, it all blurs at this point. And I think that's the saddest thing about going to these celebrations and hitting all the different panels and stuff is eventually the stuff starts to blur. I definitely I want to bring a GoPro next time so I can just go back over and go, this happened then and this happened then. Because, you know, just trying to remember which panel Pablo had talked about the Old Republic being tore. You know, it took me a while. I, find, I think it was the Untold Clone Wars. I'm pretty sure I was sitting on the left side of the room when I heard that announcement. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different things like that. It's like, well, where was I when that was going down? You know, I mean, the Bad Batch one, we sat in line in the queue for about an hour and a half. 
Um, no, actually, probably two hours. And then we're inside, and my son, of course, he's got to go to the bathroom. And, and William Devereaux is like, you know, uh, they're not letting people back in. So you had these angles of, as well. It's like you're sitting here, you finally got in, you're finally watching it, and then you're like, I got to pee so bad I can taste it. Uh, so, you know, I feel bad for anybody that wasn't, you know, thinking about that and taking advantage of every restroom break they could, because it wasn't like there was a restroom door in the back of any of these rooms. And after waiting two plus hours to get in, uh, I would have been so angry if my son would have been like, I got to go after watching the first episode, because that's how he, he was like, I think I got to be. I'm like, really? We're only we're not even through the first episode. There's three more to go, man. Uh, but that gets back to that aspect. You know, we've said it before on on past episodes and stuff. The Clone Wars worked as films. You know, if you put four episodes together and released it as a movie, they would have been movies all day long. And I I, I kind of hope Rebels does similar in that regard because I really enjoyed the, the way the storytelling worked. It didn't feel segmented. It felt like one big overall movie. And the impacts work so much better when it works like that instead of the smaller chunks. I'm pretty eager. I'm hoping to see those stories show up on either StarWars.com or show up maybe on home video somehow. Because, um, I mean, we got the Utapau story arc on StarWars.com and eventually on the Blu-ray release of Season 6 of The Clone Wars, but it was not on the DVD release, uh, probably just for lack of space. So I'm hopeful that we'll get a chance to see them, but yeah, I definitely want to get access to more information on those, even if I have to watch a bootleg or something that someone managed to record, just so that I can put it on the timeline and everything. Um... The, the lion thing that you mentioned, that's the one thing that really concerns me, thinking about Celebration, say, in Orlando. Because, and I, I think I've talked about this on the show before, I have IBS. Basically, IBS is sort of the short way of saying that my stomach is whack. Uh, my digestive system is kind of screwy. And it's like uh, micro-seizures and whatnot. But it happens as a result, oftentimes, of anxiety. So, for instance, uh, one of the big issues that I had previously when I was working in a traditional school was I had about a 15-minute, 10-minute drive to work, and then I'd have a little bit of time before first period to get things done and get ready, and then for most of the day, it was, you know, here's a 50-plus minute block with students where you are responsible for uh, observing them, you're responsible for monitoring them, even if you're done with the lesson, and then here's a quick little passing period, which kept getting smaller year to year because they were worried about people loitering in the halls or fighting in the hallways. So all of a sudden now it's down to like five minutes or whatever. And then you've got a quick lunch, which is less than half an hour, and you're back at it again. And for me, I would be concerned about, am I going to be able to keep my stomach under control so that I don't wind up having to step out of the classroom? That actually didn't happen nearly as much as one would expect. But it happened every great once in a while. I have to have somebody, you know, keep an eye on the classroom or something, inconvenience someone else, or just wait until a passing period and run to the restroom and try to use the restroom really, really fast and race back to the classroom, which also means not being at the door monitoring the hallway in case a fight breaks out or something like that. I mean, really, if you're a teacher, in most respects, unless it's your planning period or your lunch, you're not really supposed to leave the room, period, uh, or at least leave your doorway. And what that did was, knowing that I was going to get into a, a period of about eight hours or so, eight to nine hours of not really having free use of a restroom except for every great once in a while, would cause me to be anxious getting ready to go to work. So my stomach would start getting upset, even with the medicines that I was taking and whatnot. So it would be sometimes difficult for me to make it to work without having to stop and come back inside as I was walking out to the car, go 
you know, halfway through the neighborhood and have to turn back around and come back home because my stomach was so whack. It was excruciating sometimes being able to just drive the, what, five miles or whatever it is to get to the school where I worked. And the more my stomach would bother me, the more anxious I would get about getting there on time, which made it worse because it was picking up off of that anxiety and such. Um, that has changed now quite a bit. It's odd because I, I mean, my meetings now for work are a 31-mile drive one way to go to a meeting now. And it's usually not an issue because I don't have those anxiety-producing things. Then I know when I get there, if I'm in the meeting and I start feeling ill, I can step out. So that is all to say. It really, really worries me, the idea of going to a celebration, trying to get into one of the bigger events, and everything I'm hearing about long hours-plus lines for the really interesting things, and the fact that if I were to have to step away for any reason, I would simply be screwed. And that alone has me wondering if, like, if I go to a celebration... I almost feel like it's going to be for the camaraderie and to meet people that I've known online for years and to hang out more so than to go to the events because I'm not sure how many of the events I would actually be able to physically attend. And that sucks to such a huge degree that it almost makes me not want to go. You know, I mean, I absolutely want to, but... It's kind of the podcasting thing. Every so often there's that level of doubt that comes in, and that really makes me concerned about the idea. I mean, that's why I don't usually go see movies in movie theaters, because I wind up missing too freaking much of it by having to step out during the middle of the movie and either bother, you know, Jody to say, hey, you know, what did I miss? Or be missing part of the film and only really get to see the whole thing when the thing comes out on home video later. Um, it just, it's a concern to me. So hearing that, ugh, I don't know. I would have wanted to be in there to see the Clone Wars or to see the, the pre, the, the preview of Rebels or whatever, but, but yeah, I would be concerned that I would only be seeing at best parts of these things because physically, I'm not capable a lot of times in a high anxiety, oh, I'm excited, oh, I want to see this, oh, I want to do this type of situation to be able to be stationary for that long. Well, and it definitely came down to the staff. Um, some people, you know, you could come up to them, tell them what's going on. They'd let you back in. Then I see other situations. I, I actually saw a guy get drug off by security by this lady. Uh, he was waiting to get into the uh, talking to myself uh, with with James Arnold Taylor. Uh, and then it was a two parter. And then Mark Hamill, uh, The Return of the Jedi. His his was the second half. I, I tried to get into that one. I was early still, uh, but the queue was full, which and, and this was the crazy part. OK, at the time that the queue was full. OK, we're still it hasn't even started yet. The premiere is already full and this is full. And yet the whole floor is still packed. OK, but there was this guy that was in line. He was in the line. He left to came across to go to the bathroom when he went to go back. The lady would not let him. And he kept trying to explain to her, you know, my group's right there. And she's like, I'm sorry. She's all it's full. You can't get back in. And so he tried to, you know, go a different route. And she was watching him. She's like, you can't go that way. She's like, you can't. I mean, I'm going to call security if you don't come back. And he's like, do what you got to do, because he was like, he was not going to have it. He's like, dude, I had to go do my thing. I'm going back to my family. And sure enough, they had the security grab him and drag him off. I was like, whoa, crazy. And and after that fact, I'd found out there were still they were letting other people in on the other side of that same big open uh, space. So it really sometimes it came down to 
which angle you went towards that panel from. Like if you were on the back wall, good luck. Cause that lady wasn't letting you in. But if you came in from the artist side, Oh, they were letting people in. I, I was, by the time I walked up and then asked them, then they're like, Oh yeah, we're, we're not letting anyone else in. But in the time it took me to walk from the lady that wasn't letting anyone in to that other side, they let in about a hundred extra people. And it was just like, well, if it's not letting anyone in, what about all those people over there? And that was one thing that I, I heard from a lot of other people, especially other people that went to other celebrations, that the lines uh, were out of control. They weren't prepared for it, uh, that they didn't get enough volunteers and that some of the ones that they had were just misinformed or were really rude. Some were great. Uh, but yeah, it, a lot of people kept coming back to saying it was the staff that was doing that, that uh, – was causing a lot of the issues for a lot of people getting in and out of things. Uh, David Senden, uh, Jedi Jones, he uh, had the the press pass to get on the red carpet, showed up uh, at the time he was supposed to show up, and then found out, oh, no, the press was supposed to show up even earlier than that. He didn't get to get in even though he had a reserved seat. A lot of things like that. So I, I discovered that, that those that are in the know definitely got to uh, do more things, got into more things, uh, were able to get more of the swag, uh, a lot of the swag kind of irritated me. Uh, you know, I get it in one regard. Like, okay, we were part of the Force United booth. Okay, so my first day there, I ran the Force United booth with uh, Matt Booker from uh, Jedi News. Great guy, funny as hell. Uh, but we were one of six different websites that all came together to run this booth. So everybody could do like an hour or so and everyone can go and do all the other stuff. So we all had our own card. And on the back of these cards was Ula's burlesque review. It was a, a little a fan drawing. And so, of course, you know, I, being me, I had to come up with a little catchphrase. So I'm like, you know, get your Ula's burlesque review. She's dying to dance for you, which, of course, caught on. They all loved it. Uh, but, you know, so we were handing out these, but it was only like, so while I was there and while Matt was there, we were handing out, you know, the Jedi news cards and the Star Wars report cards. You couldn't get the Jedi business ones, the yak face ones, the other ones that were there. Uh, and then Chuck shows up from uh, Jedi Jedi Temple Archives, and he's about to give out four, uh, 50 posters. He brought 200 posters, and he's giving out 50 a day. Smart guy. Uh, he doesn't have anything scheduled, so if you're finding this out, he tweets it. Okay, so if you want his stuff, you got to be following his thing. All right, a little harder for the people that just show up and are looking for swag because they wouldn't know about that unless they see the line. But at least he was spreading it out. You know, he had that. Went fast. His line lined up. Everyone went through. It was all gone. Uh, there were other places, though, that they would come out and they did all their stuff all at once. And there was no you, you had no idea that the swag was being given out. And if you didn't get in that line, it was gone. Uh, you know, the Delray stuff. I got one pin. I got the uh, the the new Dawn pin. Didn't get any others. Uh, they, in fact, ran out. Uh, Eric Schoenweiss and uh, they were giving their own pins away at one point. They, they just it went so fast. But there were a lot of these patch sets, you know, where there were six patches to collect them all for this big, you know, Vader case or whatnot. And I had one of the patches, didn't realize it was part of a set. And it's like, you know, yeah, these, these patches are great. You know, you get all six. That's awesome. But the reality of getting all six, unless you know somebody, not so great. <laughs> I mean, while we were at our, our place, we had all the other cards. We could have given you all six cards, but we wanted you to come back to visit the other people at the site. So, you know, Matt had this great system down, you know, he's like, oh, we got two of these cards right here, you know, and he's got this great, you know, UK accent. And he's like, we got other ones. We got some freebies if you want them. And yes. And then he'd say, pardon. Yeah, I want one. Pardon. And he'd, he'd say pardon until they'd say yes, please. No, we'll teach you some proper English. Yeah, it, it was great. You know, he, he, he was doing that kind of stuff. And 
we were trading our buttons for other buttons because, you know, we weren't able to go out. Anybody that was in the booth wasn't able to go out and get any of that stuff. So that was how they were getting their swag. So I was like, oh, okay, that's how they're doing it. Well, other people were just giving away buttons. I mean, there were definitely learning curves all the way around, not just for me, but also for our website. You know, if I was thinking more, I would have I would have bought buttons. Uh, You know, we brought the shirts. I offered up shirts and stuff like that for people to prepay for. But the buttons definitely would have been a smarter route to go. And I wasn't even thinking about doing anything like that. Uh, So so, you know, there's those aspects of the swag and that kind of stuff that was kind of weird. You know, the shirts that we had uh, that we did. We had the podcaster listener meetup on Thursday night, which I think for me, that was probably the highlight of my whole celebration was getting to go there. I was kind of bummed you weren't able to go there because so many people were asking about you. Uh, you know, they were telling us uh, how much they love our show, you know, the things that they love about it, the passion that we have, our knowledge, that kind of stuff. Uh, having, you know, other listeners introduce us or, you know, me to their friends and stuff. This guy that's on this show and that show and, you know, really cool. I'm so I'm handing out these shirts while I'm there. You know, these are all the shirts that everyone's prepaid for and stuff. And Matt shows up, uh, Matt just rockers. And, and, and he's one of the first guys that bought one of our shirts, you know? So I'm like, Hey, you know, yeah, you're the first one, you know, I'm talking to him and he bought one of the beyond the film shirts. So we had two patterns for that. You know, I shared a while back the A and B logo. Well, I got the A and B in my head crossed up and I'm looking through and I'm looking through and I don't see his shirt because I only had uh, a few of the other styles bought and I'd already given mine to Dan and a couple other guys. So I didn't have that other style. And I'm like, oh, my God, I gave you a shirt away. <laughs> so I'm like going through the bag and I'm going through the bag and I start to break out in that sweat. You know, uh, you're talking about uh, your nervousness and stuff. Uh, so I'm like, oh, God, my stomach starts to turn and everything. I'm like, oh, dude, I, I, I'm going to go back to my hotel room tonight. I'll check. Uh, luckily, I had some of our stickers. So I gave him one of our stickers. I'm like, you know, there's a small thing. Like, I, you know, I'll give you this to kind of bide the time. I'll, I'll figure it out. I'm so sorry. I can't believe this. You know, so he ends up leaving. Uh, and then I, I'm looking through my stuff and I realize, oh crap, I had the shirt the whole time. I'm flipping the shirts right by him and he never once bothered to mention, well, isn't that the shirt? So of course, you know, I call him back. I end up hooking up with him the next day. But yeah, I, I met up with so many different people down there at that. Uh, you know, Bethany took me around, was introducing me to publishers and stuff like that, that I came down for the event. Uh, I didn't go to the 501st event, which I'm kicking myself for 89 bucks. You know, I was thinking like 89 bucks, that's something I could, I could spend on the floor. Dude, 89 bucks ain't going to buy you much on the floor. I mean, it'll buy you some figures some books, stuff like that. But if you want a really cool statue, you're going to look at 150 bucks, that kind of stuff. So stopping and thinking about it after the fact, that $89, Riley was able to bump heads with, with all these famous people, get pictures with Pablo, get pictures with Dave Filoni. Yeah, I got a picture with Pablo, but I had to find him and, and get lucky enough, you know, that kind of stuff. Riley was in a room with all these people and they were just doing it, you know, so it's like, Definitely, if you do one of these things, definitely get into the 501st event. You're helping a charity on top of it all. I uh, wish I would have done that. A lot of things I wasn't able to get into just because of the aspect of, of going from here to there. Uh, you know, I liken it to my first trip to Disney. When we first went to Disney, I didn't know how the Fast Pass worked. I thought it was like, oh, we have one day with a Fast Pass. So let's save it for the last day and then use it. And then we found out we could have been using it the whole time. So my first trip to Disney was a lot of going from one ride to another and waiting in lines. And that's what it was for me. It was like, well, I could go to the Force Awakens Museum. I could sit in line. And, you know, once I'm in there, I have as many, you know, as long as I want, I could take as many pictures as I want. They're not going to kick you out. That's how the line ends up being fast or slow. You know, you get in line, it could be an hour and a half wait. We got in line, it was only 45 minutes because everybody in front of us wasn't taking many pictures. They were just going through, looking at it and leaving. Uh, I got in there, I took a buttload of pictures. So the people behind me had to wait a little longer. 
Uh, but I think they filled it up about 50 people. So while these lines are going and stuff, it's like, yeah, you get in these lines. The next thing you know, you've missed a panel that you wanted to do. Well, part of that is they give out this 2015 insider's guide, which has like five different schedules in it, not just each day, but different things. So like I'm looking through it thinking, circling things thinking, okay, well on this day, there's only two panels I really want to do. We can, we can split Disney on that day. You know, so I'm telling my wife these things. And then I'm flipping through it later and I'm looking through and there's a whole nother section with a whole nother schedule. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I missed the Canon panel. Uh, yeah. So needless to say, when it came to the preparation for this, I was not prepared at all. The items that they gave us, the app wasn't updated until almost the day before a lot of things. And then the book itself was very confusing. Uh, you know, looking for the bathrooms on the first floor, I noticed that there tended to be a lot more girls to the men's rooms. You know, I was going around this one section and I started in one corner. And by the time I got around again, it was like, if I'd have gone to the left, I'd have been right there. No, I had to go past three ladies rooms before I got all the way back around to the men's room. Then I find out after the fact, you go up to the second floor and they're even there for every girl's bathroom. There's a men's bathroom and they're all in these little nooks at the end of the halls. A lot more well laid out. But shoot, I didn't even find out about the second floor until halfway through the first day. It was just so chaotic. When they opened the floor, you couldn't walk through there. I mean, you okay, so I stood in that line. I missed the trailer. I was out in that line for almost two hours. Then we go inside, and they put us in another queue, another huge line to wait to get in. So when the event's going, that room was completely empty. And I kept thinking, I'm like, why not just make everybody stand outside and then use that queue room to make the space between the booths bigger? Because when it first opened up, it was like sardine central, man. You couldn't walk. You couldn't reach. It was just shuffling really shortly. And I had a kid with a stroller. I mean, it was it was a nightmare in that regard. Luckily, most of the people were were very polite. Uh, but because it was so packed, you would get those one out of every 100 people that was just shoving their way through. And those type of people were the ones that were stepping all over my kids. And, and you know, so you you had that aspect that kind of tainted it. But then you got into the panels and stuff and you would interact with the other people and, and it would make up for it. The waiting in the line would suck. Yes. But as long as you had enough people that you could get back to your spot and you were talking to the staff and let them know, uh, you know, you could get to the bathroom for the most part. You, you know, it, it was it was a matter of getting to the staff person and letting them know, hey, this is what I'm doing. You know, where's the closest bathroom? For the most part, they were pretty good about those kind of things. But the upside about sitting in those lines was that was when you got to do a lot of really talking. I mean, you know, uh, getting to sit there and talk with the guy that did the trailer for The Force Awakens. You know, we were sitting there chatting with him for an hour and a half, uh, you know, the whole time practically. Uh, so that was fun getting to learn things, uh, at, before the podcaster meetup, the guy that hosted the, uh, JJ Abrams panel, he was down there. He met up with uh, us when I was down there with the ion cannon guys. We were waiting, eating up and stuff. And he came down and was asking us about it. And just, we sat there talking with him for 30 minutes, you know, and just talking about the different stuff, just a lot of fun in general when it comes to those kind of things. So there was definitely a, a balance of good and bad. Uh, you know, I say there was a huge learning curve because of those lines and stuff, because like like Bethany and Riley were able to get into a lot of things. Uh, I didn't see them that much, though, because every time I saw Riley, Riley was on his way to another event. I mean, Riley, this was his third trip. He had it down. Uh, you know, he was going into panels. He was plugging his, his equipment into the stuff, getting really good quality recordings and things like that. You know, I, I was more there just to soak it in because I remember how they were at their first one and and the things that they wanted to do and that they couldn't do and that. Uh, so, you know, for me, it was definitely a learning curve. I think when I say, you know, everybody should go, I think if you have a family, 
I would suggest doing the family first, get that over with, because I think if, if you're a fan like I am, I don't think you're going to go back with your family. Uh, my wife was okay with that. She's like, you can go by yourself next time. I don't have a problem with that. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I, I tried to make the best of my son's birthday by dragging him to the panels we went to. He went to the Star Wars at Delray panel with me, but honestly, not kept his attention. He was really bored right away. I mean, it was it was talking about books. I mean, when they mentioned that all 20 of the Journey to the Force Awakened books are all going to be released together on September 4th, well, I thought that was crazy. He could care less. Uh, you know, little things like that. Uh, Aftermath being part of a trilogy. But they didn't mention if the other two books are part of that journey to the 20, you know, little things like that. I wanted to stay and ask those questions. Uh, you know, I couldn't because he wanted to go and, and do other things. So we went and did other things. Something I was told from people that have been to other uh, cons that was different here, celebration, they would rush people out of the room. Uh, when you were at cons and stuff, you could kind of hang out and, and chill for as long as you want. Not the case here. They were they were really, you know, go, 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 go when it came to the things. Uh when I finally figured out that my media pass could get me in earlier than the rest of my family, I went to go and utilize that on one day. It was an interesting experience. Uh, you know, I come in, they, at first they didn't want to let me in. I hold my media pass in there. Oh, okay. You need to go up to the, the second floor of the media lounge. All right. So I go in and of course, yeah, they're serious. They're shuffling me right up to it. I'm like, ah, crud. Cause I need to get over to the autographs. Cause that's where Riley's at at this point, because he was there even earlier. So I go up the escalator, I get up to that floor and I'm like, okay, I'll go down and I'll, Go down to the next thing down and come down over there. And I do that. Next thing I know, I'm out by the Hot Wheel cars over by that big queue line. And that's right where they're queuing everybody. So now I'm not a media guy. I'm one of the people. And they want to put me in this two-hour long line. And I'm like, ah. so eventually I go back outside again and I come at it from another angle. I'm just like, this is crazy. There, you know, So the getting ins and outs and the line aspects, I think, were the biggest detractor from it. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd see people that have gone to other ones and they're like, oh, this was the best one ever. And I'm, I, I stopped and I questioned that. I'm like, really? This is the best ever? I'm like, I'm having a good time, but I'm not having a great time because I had that aspect of going. I, I felt like I was at Disney all over it my first time. I was going in one line and I was waiting for this panel. By the time that one was over, I would rush over to the other one and hope to God that I was in it in time because a lot of the things I wanted to do were right on top of each other on the schedule but all the way across the, the place. And another thing was, was you'd, you'd have things that were like, well, it's in the arena, you know? And you're like, well, where's the arena? The map doesn't show an arena. And then in one small section, you're also known as the blah, blah, blah stage. Oh, well, that would have been freaking helpful to know, you know? So, you know, I have a little bit of Nick complaining on that kind of stuff, but overall they were small. I mean, the experience was so magical in and of itself that you know it, it, and the learning curve was so great that i'm definitely going to be more prepared for my next time in i'm definitely going to be camping out more but i think that by ditching my family it's going to allow me to do more of those things i i mean my wife was like yeah you know you can go down there and i'm like oh i don't want to go down there and then you know hope you guys find me while i'm down there which is kind of a degree what they did when i was at the force awakens booth you know i ran that for an hour and a half they went off and did their own things took some pictures that's when they uh, surprised me with the mark hamill signature thing so you know there's definitely some things i would do differently <laughs> but there's definitely some things about it that I, I think everybody needs to do you know when i saw your post about the podcasting thing i i've been there before and i know when these celebrations come down and we're the ones on the other side of the computer screen watching these things that that feeling really comes up on us at that moment, you know, and I saw that I was I was really bummed for you because, you know, knowing how many people were excited about what we're doing, 
and and wanting us to keep doing what we're doing and stuff. Like I, I wish when I saw that post from you, I could give you half of the energy level that I had, you know, the buoyancy that I was lifted on in that, in that wave of awesomeness. <laughs> it sounds like the biggest issue is, is logistics. And that's something that really, I think you run into it a lot of cons. I started attending con Carolinas in 2004. Uh, it was their like second or third year that they even existed at the time. And it was a fairly small con in Charlotte. And you could tell as it grew, I went every year except for you know one or two for quite a while and finally just finally said I'm done with it. But it got bigger and bigger and you could see those logistical issues starting to take hold. Uh, you know, is there enough physical space for this? You know, do we need to have longer times between panels in order for things to shift? And it did start out where you could sort of mill around a little bit, but it got to a point where it was much more, you know, this panel should be done there's five minutes for the other group to set in or, or to come in and get set up. So get the hell out. We got to get going. Um, and that it, it got to a point as it grew that it was starting to reach the level of the, the frustration. It seemed like from a logistical standpoint of some of the things that I saw with Dragon Con, I've, I've gone to Dragon Con, I guess technically twice, sort of. I went one year, not actually going to the con, but just to the hotel to meet up with some friends who were in town. And then I was, I was given a press pass to go one year and be on a panel when we were introducing Star Wars fan works and all that stuff at the time. And just seeing the chaos of that, I, I would imagine that Star Wars Celebration is another level above that. Although I would think that with Star Wars Celebration, probably the atmosphere would have been more uh, family-friendly, uh, better attitudes a lot of times. That's everything that I hear about Star Wars Celebration is that it's more of a family-friendly, good we are all in this together type of atmosphere rather than what you get at a lot of other conventions, especially major sized conventions. Not as much jockeying for position, jockeying for this collectible or that collectible, though it does happen. Um, mm. certainly something not quite as, as, as tense, I guess, as sometimes things like San Diego Comic Con can be. And at some point, we might want to circle back around to, um, discussing some of the, the more, you know, atmospheric aspects of that. You mentioned something I, I think, It'd be good to end with three quick topics here that are the purview of the show and also sort of keeping in line with the way that we talk about things in our years in review, which is to take a look at the books, comics, and video game or other game type news that came out of Celebration. And you mentioned really what I think is the only thing that was big news coming out about the books specifically, which is the dump so to speak, that in early September, we're not just getting, you know, the next release or the first release in The Journey to the Force Awakens. It's here's everything. And granted, those 20 books aren't all novels. You've got novels, you've got young reader books, probably you've got sticker books and stuff like that that they were mm -hmm. counting. But all these lead up books are being dumped at once. And here's what what I have a question about that comes from that. And I don't think they ever answered it, which is that. Granted, that's a lot to be dumping at once and a lot of money for collectors. Uh, even me, I'm not going to buy all of it because I'm not buying stuff like the sticker books. But yeah. I'm going to go and pick up, you know, comics, novels, whatever that stuff is. Because if it's a story, I want to have a copy of it, at least if it's, it's a legitimate part of the canon and whatnot. And I'm used to, in the past, they would do this kind of thing right before a film. Like right before Phantom Menace, a month before in April of 99... 
here's a ton of stuff dropped all at once, and you would go into Barnes & Noble. There's a big table with nothing but new Star Wars stuff on it and all kinds of, of extra copies of everything tucked underneath. Um, around the same time, they're launching toys and everything. It's this huge media blitz of spinoff materials or of tie-in materials, but it was always based around the film itself. It was the novelization of the film, maybe a tie-in novel to the film, but it was one of those kind of eh tie-ins, like The Approaching Storm. Okay. Um, and, and just uh, young reader books, like here's the little Boba Fett book series, you know, here's some Jedi Apprentice type books, things like that. And I'm wondering if we're going to get something like that this time. If what's happening is a double blitz. That all the journey up to all the lead-in materials, oh yeah, that's coming out in September. But that we'll get to November and it'll be blitz redux. And we'll have novelization of the film, young reader novelization, more books based on the film, guidebook based on the film, the new essential guide to whatever, tying into information for the film, all dropping at once, that we might find... A whole lot of money from collectors being spent on these blitzes within a two-month stretch that a lot of fans, especially younger fans or those in college and whatnot that may not have careers and access to you know a lot of discretionary spending, would be able to say, you know, how on earth am I going to be able to save up enough in this gap between the two blitzes to be able to buy what I want from both blitzes? They haven't mentioned, I don't think, anything about a novelization in a blitz a month before. But I can't imagine them releasing that and spoiling the film even further before in September. So well, what's I got the some deal? answers. Oh, really? I do. Uh, Jennifer Heedle had actually mentioned when they said all 20 are being dropped September 4th uh, that, yeah, there are a lot of sticker books, kid books. She said about six to seven of those books will be ones that have key elements that will tie into The Force Awakens. But she also mentioned you're not going to recognize those until you watch the force awakens uh and they this also goes into what they were saying about legends you know they they want more legend stuff uh but there's only 12 months in a year and right now their focus is on this other material there's just not enough they don't want to break people's banks so i don't think you're going to see a second blitz i think what you're seeing is they put it out september 4th and they're putting them all out so you have time to buy the ones you want and have time to read what you need to read by the time it gets there uh the other interesting information they gave us is the novelization will come out in january of 2016 they are going to be releasing the ebook on december 18th that is the only thing that's getting released with the film uh so they're actually pushing that back for once it's not going to be like with uh the, the revenge of the sith where we got it in april the month before this one it's literally the day of is when the ebook's being offered and then the hardback is following in january and and the, the i got a quick uh talk about that because the way they went about that we were in the star wars at delray and they're like we need to open this up for uh, questions and everybody raises their hands and this guy asks you know hey what what does it take to uh write the novelization for the force awakens and they're like well you got to be good and he's like well i'm pretty good and they're like we got to be quick and he's like well it depends on the story and they're like well, why don't you come on up here and, and, and take a seat and we'll fill you in and he comes up and sits down and they're like everybody it's alan dean foster and everybody goes nuts because no one realized that that was Alan because he wait, was a shaded corner. Wait, Alan Dean Foster is writing the novelization or it was just that his experience having written the novelization of A New Hope had him brought in on the panel? Nope, he is writing the novelization. Oh, oh. I mean, <laughs> I mean, oh, how lovely. I've, I'm so far, I've not been a big fan of his writing style and I've 
met the man before and you know maybe maybe he was having a grumpy day but that's not who i would have picked to write the novelization yeah it was it was an interesting uh, choice i think they're going with that whole you know him doing the splinters of the mind eye and and the early novelization they're kind of going to that throwback kind of theme uh but yeah i was i was kind of let down by the fact that the the book's coming a month later uh, you know, we, we, we're big fans of the Stover effect here on the show. So, you know, that was one of the big kind of letdowns. But yeah, uh, they were definitely pushing the aspect that they realized that, you know, fans are going to be buying a lot of this stuff, even though most of it is sticker books. Uh, they don't want to break everyone's bank. Uh, so they're definitely watching those kind of things. Uh, and again, getting back to that aspect of both Shelly and Jennifer had talked about the fact that they love Legends. They don't want to see Legends die. Uh, but for right now, the focus is on the new stuff. Uh, but they they did keep saying never say never and that and that it isn't dead. Uh, so, you know, I, I came away very hopeful. You know, I, I said at the beginning of this episode, you know, I, I originally thought, you know, within 10 years. Now I'm kind of leaning more towards within five. I, I really think that once we see, you know, episode seven, Rogue One and episode eight, uh, I think by that point, I think the fandom's going to have a general idea of what's going on. You know, we're, we're already seeing legends continue in a, a weird form of online releases right now, uh, with, with, you know, post releases of books and stuff. So that may just continue to be the norm for legends for a while. And maybe down the road, we'll see those being collected in print. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely, I, I don't feel we're going to get a second push right before because of them pushing the book and all that. I really think that they're going to uh, just leave it with that journey to the Force Awakens, which I kind of felt like, you know, how like Marvel's done this phase one and phase two kind of things. I think that the journey of the Force Awakens is phase two, uh, you know, A New Dawn and the Tarkin, Lords of the Sith, uh, you know, all these books, the, the Luke Skywalker one, Heir to the Jedi, that kind of feels like it's phase one. You know, the, the, the last of the old stuff with the son of Dathomir and that kind of stuff phasing out. The other interesting thing, though, is they kept showing these panels of what is canon and none of the comics were on it, which was kind of odd because son of Dathomir is already out. You've got uh, three or four Marvel series already in production. None of them were on there, but Battlefront was. Uh, so well, I, I found that odd. I think I know why on that one, though. Um because the timeline that kept being shown in the timeline on those colored posters and the timeline in the front of the Lords of the Sith book are timelines of the books. It's like back when you would go through and in some of the earliest EU novels, you could go through and check out in the back and it would have breakdowns and synopses of the different books and tell you when they took place. But it was just the books. Like they wouldn't mention Dark Empire, for instance, mm -hmm. on that one. So. I think that's just a matter of that's their Ballywick and Battlefront is getting a novel. Yeah. So, which is another piece of the news, I guess, that came out. So given the fact that they've got a Battlefront novel coming, that seems to be what's going to fit in here, I would, uh, I would think. I guess the thing that I'm excited about coming up, and I like the idea of thinking of it as sort of a phase one, phase two thing, is Aftermath. I want to see what happened after Return of the Jedi. What is this new reinterpretation of what happened afterwards? You know, it seems like they're basically saying, you know, this is the Roman Empire in the sense that, you know, the Roman Empire kept going once Augustus Caesar, the first emperor, was gone. You know, it went for hundreds of years. Uh, so you can't simply say, okay, well, you cut off the head, the body will die. That it's more of a Roman Empire dynamic than, say, a, uh, a Nazi Germany dynamic that once 
Hitler was gone, things started to basically fall apart for them, that it's going to be an ongoing struggle, hence the First Order resurgence thing and the idea of the rebellion as a resistance, not necessarily being a new republic and just having this happily ever after type of thing. Um, but more importantly, I think for that book, I think Aftermath may finally be the first essential novel coming out of the new canon, because I've finished reading Lords of the Sith, and ladies and gentlemen, good book, once again. Not essential by any means. We have yet to see a story being told in this new canon that feels as though it is an absolute must-read. There's stuff you can get out of it, and maybe you'll get more out of seeing Tarkin in Rebels, for instance, from reading the Tarkin novel. Mm -hmm. But we've yet to see anything that is an essential piece. I think Aftermath is finally going to be that uh, essential piece. I think you're 100% right, because the one thing that jumped out to me is that this is book one of a trilogy. And, you know... Timothy Zahn's book is part of a trilogy. That trilogy was, you know, that's where everybody comes to. And they're like, oh, heir to the empire. You know, that, that was the first book of the trilogy. It was the best book. And, you know, they didn't mention that two and three are part of the journey too. So I was like, that was kind of odd to me. Uh, and so knowing that this is the first trilogy we're getting, you know, I mean, that seems to be when we got the first essential EU books was when we got our first trilogy of books in that regard. And I, I think that that's where we're at. I think that this is the moment that most people are more interested in. You know, we're more interested in what happened after Return of the Jedi than we are in New Hope. Uh, you know, Empire Strikes Back. Uh, this is definitely the one that's going to have the most impact for what's going forward into the new films, too. So I think all those things are going to play into this being the essential read. I think you're dead on in that. I think that's the case, but I don't think it's because of the trilogy thing. Because... It, Zahn's trilogy, I don't think that that is a fair comparison because it was the first set of books in the, the, the modern or what was the modern expanded universe and the, and the concept of linking it all together as an official continuity back in 91. Um, it, in that sense, it sets itself apart from the stuff that came before, which wasn't part of that publishing plan like uh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye and whatnot. And in terms of being trilogies, I mean, you did have three book series tied together with Han Solo and Lando prior to that. But they weren't part of the official continuity. It's just it, – I'm not sure that there's a, a conclusion to be able to be drawn from it. But I think the way they're promoting it makes it – so it sounds like it's going to be that. If nothing else, it's the first thing we're getting after Return of the Jedi. So just like you know the Nagai Toph storyline back in the Marvel series, it's going to have that kind of impact of, wow, okay, it's finally starting to tell us what happened between you know then and now and so forth. Mm. Um, speaking of the written materials – of course, we also had comics, and the big comic news coming out of Celebration was that so far, of course, we've already got the regular Star Wars series. That was followed up by Darth Vader. Those are both ongoing. Then we got the miniseries for Leia, and now we've got the miniseries for Kanan and his background, and we found that the next comic series, I believe a miniseries, that is going to be uh, added to the Marvel publishing schedule is Star Wars Lando. This is true. Uh, that one was dropped actually early. In fact, a lot of people just decided, you know, I don't need to go and see that Marvel panel because they had announced this, I think, at the Rogue One, maybe. I, it was one of the earlier first day things, and, and they dropped the Lando out. I remember seeing it uh, before the hand, so I was like, okay, well, I don't need to go to that panel now. <laughs> and I think a lot of people were like that, too. They were just like, oh, well, you know, they've already let it go. No, it was uh, Battlefront. Uh, when the, they had the Battlefront panel, it was leaked then. Uh, which that was another one I wish I could have got to, uh, you know, Battlefront. They had a lot of cool things. The trailer for that looked really fun. But yeah, uh, the Lando one, 
there's not really much for me. I mean, there's not much for me to get excited about yet. It's kind of like him just showing up in Rebels. Like, it was more exciting knowing he was going to be there than what we actually got. So I kind of fear for that. Like, I hope there's a bigger plan for Lando to make Lando more of a player. Uh, I know, you know, when we were talking on Tarkin, when it came to Legends, Tarkin wasn't a character I really cared about. But now in canon, he's somebody I'm caring more for. Lando isn't the same for me like i didn't really start to care for lando until the new jedi order when he finally got married and he had you know started to settle down and that stuff that was the lando i liked before that it was like rinse and repeat lando oh find a scheme try to make money doesn't work Hmm, find a scheme try to make money doesn't work so i I don't want to go back to that or if we do like i hope they decide to move him away from that real quickly uh you know give him something more um, maybe this is when we find out about the Battle of Tanan. I mean, that would be something cool, too. Lando is to Star Wars and schemes as Clintons and Bushes are to running for president, apparently. Um, I, I, I don't know. I found this kind of an odd choice. Um, I do think that it's high time that he finally got his own series, very much like Princess Leia. I mean, you look back at the history of Star Wars publishing, there's been a crap ton of comics, which is a technical term, I believe, and... While he has been a major player, especially actually back in the Marvel series, Lando was a much bigger player than he really ever was in the Dark Horse era, especially between Empire and Jedi. He was huge uh, in the original Marvel series, but he really never kind of got its due, his due later and never wound up with his own series. He got his uh, uh, Bounty Hunters issue, but never his own broader series or a miniseries focusing just on him. Same thing with Leia. She took Center Sage in some stories, but not necessarily getting her own series. Part of me wonders, though, how much of this is we have a good Lando story we want to tell, and I'm, I'm assuming it's going to rehash and give us a new canonical version of how he got Cloud City or something, uh, or how he got the Millennium Falcon, perhaps, and how much of this is, well... Because Leia and Lando didn't get their own series before, we're going to, you know, build up some hype and some interest by finally giving them their own series. Um, it's kind of like them building up the hype with the Welcome Home or Star Wars Comes Home. And this, the way that Marvel sort of hyped up this idea that they've got the license back and they're going to do something great with it as if they somehow achieved something by getting it back. And it wasn't just Disney saying, well, we own Marvel. It's more cost-effective to do it this way, so screw you, Dark Horse. You know, like, uh, that's one of the things that Randy Stradley brought up in one of his posts about the whole barbed wire issue exchange thing, which was, you know, they act as though they somehow won it back, and there was no winning involved at all. Um, It's like saying, yes, I got into this great school. Well, actually, no, you didn't. You happened to live in its district, so of course you're going to that school. You didn't achieve squat by doing that. Uh, That's kind of what Star Wars has done. Star Wars is now within Disney's, uh, Marvel's district because of living at Disney now. Um, Part of that is, okay, well, they're just characters that were neglected before. But you step back, and I'm big on politics and sociology and all those different things uh, because I'm a social studies guy. And I got to sit back and wonder how much of this is, I don't think political correctness is the right word for it, but a sort of a diversity for diversity's sake type of thing because the... Uh, outside of Vader and Kanan, whose background they're trying to give through the comics to tie into the cartoon series, the two existing characters from the original trilogy that they grabbed and decided to use for a miniseries of their own are Leia and Lando. 
the one primary woman in the original trilogy and the one primary black man. Not African-American. It's space. No America. No Africa. Um, the black character from the original trilogy. Uh, there's a part of me that says, interesting. It's kind of like the novelty aspect of you ask people, and they've done opinion polls on this, multiple opinion polls. What is the thing that most qualifies Hillary Clinton to be president to you? Why would you vote for Hillary Clinton? What was the number one answer? She's a woman. She's. I was going to say she's a mom. <laughs> yeah, she's a woman. That's not a qualification for office. That's an accident of genetics. How is being a certain gender or race or uh, having a certain ethnic background when it comes to where your family came from, be it England or uh, Japan or wherever, how are those qualifications for office? And it's sort of the same thing here of a, well, uh, but it's unique. It's new. It's important that we put a woman in office, an African-American office, Hispanic-American office in the case of Marco Rubio or someone like that. Um, and it's like we get wrapped up in that identity politics thing, and it stops being about the substance of the person, their character, their ideas, and starts being about the physical features. And you see that sometimes in media where, oh, for instance, um, Powers. Um, they took the character of Dina Pilgrim, realizing that the Powers comic book was pretty much all white people until you get um, to one of the later police characters who come in. And when they did the Powers television series, or whatever you want to call it on PlayStation Network, they had Dina Pilgrim recast her as an African-American woman. The character is generally not changed, but the race is. Um, like they did, for instance, with um, Kingpin back in that horrible, horrible Daredevil movie with Ben Affleck. Um, diversity is good, and we're starting to see more diversity in Star Wars, like with the character in Heir to the Jedi. Uh, we now have our first LGBT, but not in your face in that way character, where it's just sort of a, it's an aspect of the character. You just accept it. Uh, with Moth Moors in Lords of the Sith. To what degree, though, is this very conspicuous choice of the woman and the black character from the classic trilogy a driving force in why they chose those characters as part of the storytelling? And I wonder if it's maybe a mixture of both. They didn't get their due. They were also looking for some more diversity within the characters that they could focus on. Those two things kind of went well hand in hand and gave birth to these series that will hopefully be good stories but the 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 social scientist so to speak in me the political interest guy in me um looks at the choices and finds them intriguing in a political sociological sort of way well i just hope they add depth to the story i mean so with lando i'm looking at a couple different things like okay show me him getting the falcon that's okay I would like to see him losing the Falcon to Han. That would that would be one that I would really enjoy. Uh, or is this his time on Lethal? Uh, you know, if if this is his time on Lethal, then then you've got a really good opportunity because you can tie in what's going on with Rebels to this and have that little flow through. Or you could even take an opportunity to tie in the Falcon in that regard and do that as well and have him like trying to get the Falcon or, or explaining where the Falcon is. You know, we've hinted that him trying to uh, smuggle the puffer pig onto the planet before that could have been in the Falcon for all we know. Uh, you know, there's so many angles that they could do something like that or the you know, they must have known about the Battle of Tanab or whatever it was he was at. Uh, you know, those are references that were already in canon that I feel like those should be expanded on to a degree, especially now that we're rebuilding canon. You know, if you're going to give me some new story that has nothing to do with anything, but it just happens to have Lando in it, 
I, I think that that's a mistake and that's not the kind of storytelling I hope we're going to continue with in the future. I, I want, I want to know, okay, I want basically the new Jedi order effect. You know, the new Jedi order was a series of standalones, duologies and trilogies that was treated as one big series. You know, that's what I want to see them do with Canon. You know, I want them to have a, an over idea of what are they going and I want everything to kind of tie in and build towards that. Uh, you know, kind of flesh out that universe in that regard. And that's kind of what I would hope to see. I don't want a, a little fluff and filler in this regard. Or if it is a fluff and filler, let it be to tie into something that they're planning on doing later that we don't know of now. Uh, Lando's time on Lothal. I envision a scene in which he gets so lonely out there by himself that he starts looking kind of, what have we here? At the puffer pig, the puffer pig freaks out at his romantic intentions, puffs up gigantic, and he simply looks at it and goes, Wow, baby got back. Or something like that. Sorry, the puffer pig. The puffer pig will never go over well with me. I don't Um, want puffer pig, puffer pig, puffer pig back. uh, So, sort of moving on past that, I guess the last thing is games. And I guess to sort of put an overview to this, uh, we learned a few things from Celebration. You've mentioned... Uh, for instance, something that I had sort of taken for granted for quite a while because of just the nature of the storytelling and th- something that was dropped to uh, GameSpot, the website, quite a while ago, which is that they have confirmed that the Old Republic MMO is Legends, despite the fact that the story group is now involved. It is Legends. We found out that apparently when it comes to video games, the fact that a video game is being produced now that the canon announcement has been made doesn't necessarily make that video game canon. That some video games won't be, and that, for instance, like with The Old Republic, what the story group is doing is essentially checking for authenticity, as they called it, as opposed to looking at it from the standpoint of, will this fit into canon? So, for instance, when they looked over... Uh, was it Shadow of Revan for the Old Republic? It wasn't to say, how can we fit this into what exists with this new story group-driven canon? They were basically saying, is this authentic to what we want? Is this the message we want to send with Star Wars? Basically, does it fit, in a sense, with uh, our current vision of what Star Wars should be in terms of tone uh, and whatnot? You know, that consistency, kind of like Leland Shee was doing anyway, except in a deeper level, now with how is it consistent with Legends. I have sent a message to Pablo Hidalgo. Hopefully, I will hear back asking whether that same concept applies to Fantasy Flight games. Whether it's that we're going to find that the Fantasy Flight game stuff, because it is so seeped in Legends and they paid a lot to get that license, uh, that they are still Legends, and that essentially what they're doing is anything where it's going through the story group is to check for authenticity as opposed to saying, hey, let's fit this into canon. Because if not, you've got a lot of stuff being brought over from Legends, perhaps inadvertently through that set of RPGs, for instance, and the X-Wing game, into canon. Um, we also, right before we went into Celebration, uh, we got the announcement of Wave 7 of the X-Wing Miniatures game. We found out about some more ally and villain packs coming from Imperial Assault for Fantasy Flight games, so some of those materials were on display there. Um, they're starting to go up for pre-order in places, but it's going to be months before they actually come out you know, for purchase and whatnot. Um, and, of course, I guess the big news was we finally got to see some Battlefront. Apparently there was some closed doors footage where people actually got to go in and see the game actually being played. And there was an in-engine cutscene style of preview that was aired, or that was released, that also was released online. But that really doesn't tell us a lot about 
the gameplay. We're told that it can switch between first person and third person. Uh, ships and such will be involved. That there will be apparently a DLC uh, Battle of Jakku that's going to give us some of the background of uh, what led to the Star Destroyer being crashed on Jakku that we see in the trailer for The Force Awakens. Um, a lot of information, but I still want to see the game actually being played. I don't want to hear about it. I want to see actual in-game footage, which is what I thought we were going to see. And instead, what we got was essentially an in-engine trailer scene slash cutscene. Like, for instance, for those who are unfamiliar with what this is, uh, in-engine means it's essentially being created by the same thing that creates the gameplay itself while you're playing, those graphics. They're not pre-made CG cutscenes that are made almost like just a little cartoon and just inserted in as a video file. So, for instance, if I'm playing Destiny and my character has a certain set of armor on and is using a certain ship and is carrying a certain weapon, uh, his little ghost robot thing has a certain skin on it. If it was a regular-style cutscene like we saw in older generation games, you would have those things, and then you switch to the cutscene, and all of a sudden you're wearing the standard thing that everybody wears, carrying the standard weapons that everybody wears, and there's nothing unique about what you did to your character showing up in the cutscene, and it's kind of jarring. Whereas what you're getting here is something more like... um uh, what Destiny does, which is, you know, you get to the end segment of Destiny, uh, or, well, end of the main storyline, the initial storyline, and you're talking to a character you've met throughout, and even though it's a cutscene, you are wearing the gear that you've had throughout. It's your customized look to the character, the ghost you're carrying with you, the, the little robot, skin that you're using, and when you finally fly off into the sunset... Uh, in order to go off on further adventures, the ship that you're using when you fly off is the ship that you've been using in-game. They're able to create those cutscenes using game elements that you have chosen by drawing those together, as they call it, in-engine. Uh, and that seems like what we got for Battlefront, an in-engine scene, but it wasn't showing us gameplay. I mean, show us what uh, the HUD is going to look like. Show us how some of the button mapping is going to work. Show us players playing against each other or playing the PvE, player versus environment type of game. And instead, what they seem to have given us is, look how pretty it is. Isn't this awesome? Look at the pretty graphics without really giving us any sense of how well the game is going to actually play. I mean, this is DICE. They do the Battlefield games. And Battlefront itself has a pretty good pedigree of games, so I'm not too worried about the gameplay. But after as long as we've waited, and the fact that this is a game that's coming out in November, I would have expected to actually have some public unveiling of actual freaking gameplay for Battlefront at Celebration, and we didn't get it. Yeah, it was a little odd. I'm, I, I gotta admit that watching that little trailer of what they had, I was, I was squeeing. It was pretty cool looking. Uh, but yeah, those were the questions that, that were kind of rising. I didn't get to get in on that one. They were giving out free shirts too when that was all over. I was like, ah, oh, dude, I should have got there. That was another one of those I tried uh, and just missed. You know, there's a lot of panels and stuff that they had it queued. Like, well, we got too many people. And so we're cutting the line here. Uh, and then, of course, you'd find out that some people got in anyway and smuggled the other people in and vice versa. But so, yeah, I, I wonder if there was anything else like that. But from what I gathered from everybody that had attended, they didn't show any heads up displays or anything like that. Um, but, yeah, I, th I think if the people watching the demo games that that happened, I think they're the ones that are going to have the most idea of what's going on in that regard. They're probably going to be the only ones that even saw anything like that. 
I kind of hope in the next week or two that we get some more articles. I mean, that's one of the cool things, you know, being there, there were so many things I missed that now I'm seeing articles from the people that were in the room or, or like Riley, where he shared the entire panel that he recorded and things like that. You're able to go back now and go, Oh, okay. You know, especially those Q and a segments when they were done. I mean, they, they really rushed people out, but they really, before they got to that point, when they were rushing people out, they really opened up the floor for the Q and a's and they let those go for quite a while. Uh, before they start rushing everyone out. So I, I know that there were a few that I ended up bailing when the questions and stuff started getting really good and I would have loved to have sat and listened to more, but it was a matter of getting into that next line early enough to make it in. Uh, so that, that was the kind of disappointing side. So I'm hoping that the people that were able to see that stuff were able to snap a picture or, or explain it, talk about it, discuss it somehow in the next week or two, or maybe by the time this episode airs that there's some stuff out there that the listeners know of that they can link back to the comment section. Cause there was just so many things going on, uh, you know, and, and so much information coming out. And it was just insane. Uh, you know, I couldn't imagine trying to cover it all. You know, I mean, I, I went there not even trying to cover as much as I did. You know, I just wanted to sponge it up and, and there was so much stuff that I was just like, I felt like I needed to tell, you know, people you know i was like oh i gotta go i gotta put this on our page i gotta let them know man there's books coming you know and and finding out the stuff about legends and and knowing that you know that they they are fans of legends they want to see sword of the jedi and stuff too uh but they they're definitely aware of the timing and right now the timing is not right for that i i i hate it but i get it uh and you know being in that position of hating it and getting it at least coming away from there my sense of optimism and hope is higher than it's ever been before so I think I guess uh, overall takeaway from Celebration seems to have been take the stuff that we already knew was coming, for the most part, and just get us more excited about it. Give us more info, get us more excited, show us more of what we already know is on the way. As opposed to, here's a lot of new big reveals of stuff that you didn't know was coming. We knew Rogue One was coming, here's a trailer. We know The Force Awakens is coming, here's a new trailer. We know that Battlefront's coming, here's a new in-engine a trailer type scene. We know the aftermath is coming. Let's talk about that. Let's give you some release dates and so on and so on. Uh, for the most part, not so much revealing a lot of new, it seems like this time, so much as just you know, adding icing onto the cake of what we already know for things that we're already highly, highly anticipating, it seems. Yeah. You know, last thing before uh, we wrap up, I wanted to mention some of the really cool things that happened uh, for me and my son, especially. Uh, but when we went down, uh, you know, Jazz, listener of the show, good good fellow fan all the way around, member of 501st and all that fun stuff. He's just awesome guy. Uh, you know, he came down. He had a Battlestar Galactica set for me. And so I was like, you know, we, we've got to meet up at some point. And so he was like, well, let's just meet down in the artist section over by Joe Hogan. So I got to meet Joe Hogan finally. Uh, and he was boothed up with Chris D, great artist, both of them, by the way. Uh, and they just let us kind of chill out and wait for jazz. And next thing you know, Joe's like, here, you know, take a seat. So I got to sit, you know, behind the thing with them and just kind of shoot the proverbial Sith. And, you know, Chris had this great picture of all the different clones and stuff. And they were very engaging with my son. You know, hey, which one's your favorite? Which clones do you recognize? And, and you know, a lot of fun with there. And then jazz showed up, you know, he had his thing and he was telling me how he got this uh, force effects lightsaber the night before. Because when they were done during the uh, booths and stuff, they threw them all in the trash. He was walking by and he's like, oh, I'll take that. Uh, so he offered it to Gavin, but he was just like, you know, I got to go to this premiere and, I, you know, adults got to be selfish. So I'm going to need this for, for this. But but when I'm done, I'll give it to you. 
Uh, and he did. He gave it to Gavin. Gavin was able to have that. So that was like a high point for him. Uh, at the podcaster meetup, you know, I got to meet uh, Jim Lahane, Jason Latronica, who uh, brought two shirts for Jaina, which are absolutely priceless for me. Uh, one's green and it says uh, Defender of the EU in training. And then the other one is all blue and it says I am Canon, which I, I admit when you show me that first one, like I didn't put two and two together. You know, it being for my daughter, Jaina. And then I was like, after when I was showing my wife, I'm like, oh, my God, that's so awesome. Uh, you know, so, and then meeting Matt, uh, I got to see uh, uh, Steven from uh, Roco Depot down there, uh, Jim Letson, uh, Jim Lahane, who's going to be on one of our next episodes talking about Heir to the Jedi. Uh, you know, just so many people uh, bumped into Peter Mayhew and my son didn't even know it. Uh, <laughs> we gave him our elevator down off the second floor, uh, you know, there was only enough room for one more person, so we let him go. And I got a picture of my son, and my son didn't have a clue of who's behind him. Uh, Kenny Baker, you know, walked around past him on the floor, met Stephen Stanton finally. Uh, just so many cool things. Then after leaving the podcaster meetup, I my wife did not want me to take and walk home because it was uh, six blocks or so, you know. She wanted me to do the Uber thing. I could not get my phone to download the app, you know. So I'm sitting there. I'm talking to Andy Uri of, of uh, Rebels Report who also did the logo for Star Wars report recently. And, you know, he, he's helped me figure out this whole Uber thing. So I'm trying to do that. And finally, I'm just like, I'll forget it. I'm going to walk. I'm, I won't tell my wife. So I go walk and I get down to the first stop sign, the first crosswalk. And I kid you not, there's Henry Gilroy and Pablo Hidalgo. And they're talking about camping. Pablo is not a camper. So, I, of course, you know, I, I pitch in. I'm like, Pablo, you know, you got to be camping in the caves, man. <laughs> so, we, you know, we cross the street. We're shooting the, the proverbial Sith again and pablo goes off to his hotel room and i end up walking another block and a half with henry just chatting away i mean those are the things i think you know you were talking about it being a family experience and stuff i mean those type of things are are part of what was cool about it It was like not only if when you're there singly by yourself these people will stop and talk with you but if you're there with your family and stuff they'll stop and chat with you when i met mark hamill he was it was cool because he thought he'd already seen my daughter Taylor once before. He said, this is my second time seeing you today, right? And she's like, uh, not that I know of. He's like, I'm pretty sure I saw you. And then, you know, Jane is sitting there and he's like, can I hold her? Can I, can I hold her? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, you can hold her. Uh, so it was, it was just a lot of fun getting to meet him and, and chat with him for yeah, very briefly as it was. But that picture will live on forever for me as one of my favorite moments and stuff. And all the different people I got to meet, you know, meeting Carl and Jason down at the uh, Force United booth and stuff, meeting Mark Newbold finally, uh, seeing Jason Swank in person and taking pictures of him standing behind the podium or being covered by the podium, however you want to look at it. Uh, meeting Christy Golden, seeing John Jackson Miller, getting a poster signed from Christy Golden. That happened to be just pure luck. I was over in the area, saw Erich standing there, and the next thing I know, I saw a line starting to fill up, and I jumped right in, and bam, got the poster. And, I mean, some of the stuff was just chaotic randomness that happened, and some of it was planned out. Uh, but like I said at the beginning, there was a definite learning curve uh, I, I hope everybody that does go to these things are smarter than me. Don't wait to the last minute, plan this sucker out, get as many of the, the details that you can down before you even go in. 
because uh, being prepared will definitely help you in the long run so you don't feel like you know you had to waste one celebration in a sense to really get the goods out of the next one uh, you know if I'd have been smarter I'd have brought my Jedi robe the, the cantina they were only letting costumed characters into the cantina for like the first couple days so you know little things like that that I, w- I wish I would have known uh, the photo opportunities I was not prepared for how long those lines were so of course you know me and Roxy I didn't get a picture with her because I just had to call it you know there's just so much stuff to do and so many so little time you know they had so much stuff planned and and going in i'm really looking forward if as people rumor the next us one is at orlando i definitely want to go i want to check it out i i heard that venue is probably a a one of the best venues for celebrations and i've never been to disney world so you know it's got the the plus and plus on that regard for me uh, you know, getting to, to see all the different things on the floor was really cool. Seeing the uh, Ahsoka Tano reveal for the new uh, Black Series was cool. I did not get to play the Battle Pods game, but they had like six of them set up. That line was off the hook the entire time. They had a lot of cool different uh, exhibits and stuff. So many things that I just wasn't able to participate in that I wanted to. And I think that that's going to be the mainstay for most of the people out there. Uh, the only thing I could say for those of you guys that went is share your photos and tag me if you saw me because uh, there were just so many people there that I wanted to bump into that I didn't get to and a lot that I was able to. Uh, you know, uh, Abel, uh, me and him, we did not get to meet up this time. We tried. Uh, just too much going on, man. Just way too much going on. Uh, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, in a world of Star Wars moving forward, too much going on, while it can break your bank and your wallet, it definitely doesn't break your fandom. So always be on the lookout for surprises when it comes to Star Wars and or Star Wars Celebration. Nate, you have any uh, other surprises before we head out? I guess so. I mean, I'm not sure that this is a surprise to many, or I guess if you follow uh, on Facebook, you may have already seen this. But I mentioned earlier writing for that book on the Star Wars Cinematic Universe for Seacart. I did just get the okay, the thumbs up, on a second article that I'm going to be writing. The third book in that series is called A More Civilized Age, Exploring the Star Wars Expanded Universe. And uh, I, the book was pretty much full as far as the number of contributors and who's writing what and everything. It's going to have a, an introduction of Forward by Timothy Zahn, for instance. Uh, Mike Beidler, I believe, is writing for that one, which is cool because this is a guy that his Star Wars literature compendium was something that got me interested in doing my own timeline, kind of a different approach, but you know, something to catalog things. And... Uh, uh, I realized that these books were going to be wrapping up and starting to come out right around the time that I would hit that point where I've been doing the Star Wars Timeline Gold for half my life. You know, this October, it's, I'll turn 36 and I will have been doing it for 18 years. And uh, just between that and the idea of, you know, intellectual honesty and, and sort of the defense of why you should be critical and be able to do these types of essays on something that you love became this concept for, you know, well, that might make a good end cap or an afterword for the book. And I tossed the idea out, and they did give me the thumbs up. They are going for it. So not only will I have an article in that first book, I will have the last article in the last book. Uh, again, a more civilized age exploring the Star Wars Expanded Universe. You can find out more about both books at Sequart, S-E-Q-U-A-R-T, as in sequa, like sequential, then art, like comic books, sequential art, uh, sequart.org. <laughs> Pretend it's busy.
Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website's second airborne division of podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're there. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us, our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or EU Legends questions, or you want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. And speaking of past episodes, you can find them all at www.starwarsreport.com slash beyondthefilms. Now, lastly, before we go, we want to mention you our Audible Trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport, you can get a free book from Audible. You can see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, that's one year, with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying, thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that the reason Chewie is showing up without his family? Eh, it's just because he took Mark's advice about celebration and left them at home. Hmm. What are the odds Chewie's a bad dad? What are the odds I'm going to be at Celebration Orlando when it ever happens again? Hmm. Whoa, where you at, buddy? Five rooms away? Now, speaking of Rebel hey, Season I've 2... got okay. stuff I want to add to that because you pretty much just covered, like, 50 topics in, like, a minute. Nice. Which is Irritable Bowel Syndrome, which is a short way of saying that... Actually, hang on a second. The cats are about to start fighting behind me, so you mother are going to separate because we ain't doing this because you do that every time. You walk up, you lick him on the head, he's all nice, and then you beat the f*** out of him. <sighs> Alright, let's try this again. Uh, 
basically... Then be sure to like our Facebook page. Dude, did you hear my stomach just now? That was loud. I did not, but mine's starting to go haywire too. That's why I'm like, wow. okay, I'm gonna wrap up. Yeah.